Hello and welcome to Spotlight, the official podcast of Grapple. I'm Beto. And I'm JP. And I'm Steph. And there's Steph. Steph <gasps> joining us again. Hello. You're in the intro now. I think that's, uh, that makes it official that you're part of our, fa- our, uh, our Grapple family. Absolutely. You would think I would be by now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you were part of the Talk Sport family earlier on today, though, weren't you, as well? I was. Yeah, I'm yes. doing, doing the rhymes tonight. <laughs> oh, yeah. Between the, two, to... between the two of you, to be honest, it's hard to nail you down. Like, Steph, do it. You were on, I think you both did WH's podcast over the last two weeks. JP, you did the mm-hmm. roundtable at the weekend. You're on up next mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Busy people. In demand. Voice has gone, but I'm just trying to keep up with Steph's workloads, really, <laughs> which is killing me. I'm finding, and today I'm somewhat broken. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was great fun, really good fun. Um, the AW Roundtable was, I mean, there was a point when my internet froze, and I ca- it came back when the internet came back. Um, it was uh, Suit Williams eating a big work burger from uh, Wendy's. <laughs> he just sort of had it there, and it looked nice, and I was fucking hungry it was about 11 o'clock i was starving mm. as well but yeah it was uh yeah really great fun a lot of podcasting voice kind of on the edge but I'm, I'm giving myself the week off i want to know more about the wendy's burger to be honest like was it a double burger like what was on it yeah, it was, like... yeah there was jalapeno there was chilies i mean when suit listens to this he can give you the full kind of update on it it looked good it looked like a damn fine burger Ban Rouge, mate. Do an awesome burger, I imagine. Anyway. Oh, definitely. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like I say, Steph, you've uh, you've been busy a lot lately as well. Um, I, I, I was uh, recording with WH. I haven't had the, the pleasure of uh, listening to that in full yet. I heard the intro, though. You didn't, uh, you didn't, you didn't clash too much on Jay White, I don't believe. But, yeah. you know, it was a yeah. civilised discussion, it, from what I know. It was, it was very fun. And yes, he had me on as a Jay White supporter. And he's clearly not a Jay White supporter. It was kind of like the time I met Joe. Um <laughs> <laughs> discussing that but i i think i think we did pretty well together and i feel like he's another person i've secretly turned into being a jay white uh supporter he did like him when he was a young lion i think he just doesn't like the switchblade character Mm. but it'll grow on him and absence makes the heart grow fonder apparently (laughs) he was wearing a nifty blm t-shirt this week oh there you go yeah he's a good guy on strong so fair play to him He's, I don't want to break his character, but he's a good lad. Yeah, yeah, he was uh, rocking that T-shirt on the USA shows. He used to have a great T-shirt back in the day when he was on tour with the the kind of it was a just with a fern on the front of it. I don't know what it was, and it just said Jay White, but the fern was black. <laughs> I thought it was cool. Was it one of your many story, your many T-shirts that got stolen in Oberhausen, JP, or? <laughs> It didn't, but thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> I like to I'm remind you any possible. About the Shab- it's the Shibata one now. <laughs> that, that really fucking rankles and the passport at the time, but uh, that's going to be pretty much redundant by the end of the year anyway, isn't it? So, is, uh, there politics some, in. is there some guy walking around pretending to be you with your passport and your Shibata t-shirt? Yes. Simply put, there's a, there's, there's a, there's a part of Oberhausen where someone was doing that, and every time I've been back, I... I'd offer money for it just to find out some guy wearing um, a few New Japan T-shirts and a Shibata T-shirt. I'd just love to beat the shit out of him and get it back. <laughs> I was livid about that. 
created a lot of grief for the weekend. Mm. He really did. And then I had to go to Dusseldorf, which is all right, actually. But, you know, just to an apartment block to get a ropey photo that Joe kept on trying to nick from me because he loved the photo because it made him laugh. And then he was quite upset when they took it off me when I got to customs. I went, right, that's it. You can't have that. That, <laughs> that was under a quid. I'm not getting back. Oh. Yeah, thanks for that, Ben. Sorry, mate. Oh, you look like you've yeah, recovered sorry. anyway. You're sitting there now in your uh, your Nick hey. Gage MDK t-shirt. I've got a uh, I've got a GCW t-shirt on. You know, keeping the, keeping the fan base. Oh, but, what, what, Steph, is, was that an NWO t-shirt? I thought I saw you wearing before. I'm wearing a retro Jericoholic t-shirt. Oh, okay. Uh, yes, with all my Jericoholic steps on the back. That's what I'm wearing today. Good work. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Worth a bit on that retro market, is it as well? Is it like an original? Um, I think it is an original, yeah. I've had it for quite a while, so always my, want to crack out. <laughs> my Instagram feed is littered with that stuff, with mm. just like wrestling T-shirts for sale, like classic and retro I've ones. Ordered, for money, I can't afford. I've ordered a Demo God T-shirt, but it's been a month and it's still not here, so that's slightly disappointing. Mm. I'll be rocking that every day once it comes, though. <laughs> I'm waiting on a on an Italia 90 Island shirt to arrive for me. And an Argentina 86 one with Maradona 10 on the top. I got ordered for my birthday. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, yeah. I, I imagine the Maradona one could instigate some rows. But um, seeing how Peter Shilton's turned out, I'm kind of more pro-Maradona by the day. <laughs> I'm sure Peter Reed is as well. Oh, very true. Uh, I was going to say, none of this content's any good because we don't have a video version of the podcast, but maybe one day. Um, but <laughs> I was going to say on the uh, on the AW, AW roundtable, JP, like I really, really enjoyed listening to that. I think it's one of the uh, one of the best uh, podcasts I think we've had on this network. Mm. Amazing uh, group of guests. I thought Sarah Flam was great breaking down the uh, yeah. the ratings talk and t- from like a, an advertiser slash broadcaster point of view. Been way too long since we've had Suit on. I think it was the Indie Corner days the last time he did a, a show with us. Yep. Um, obviously, I used to do that progress year and review thing with him that we quietly dropped because does anyone really want to progress year and review anymore? Um, but most notably, I enjoyed Rich Fan being like, I had no idea he was a big Arsenal fan. I'm sure he was uh, oh. like you hiding behind his couch watching the Charity Shield this weekend. I want that now. I want you two doing like a, a Gunners podcast. Like uh, just uh, you know, two Arsenal experts talking about you know the good old days. I think there's money in that. He knows his shit. Like because he said to me he was going to watch the friendly against Milton Keynes, which I'd watched at least an hour of. Mm. Yeah, I was bored that day, but it was a pre-season friendly before the Charity Shield, and there was an Irish lad who scored, and he was like, "Oh, Mark McGuinness," and I thought, "Oh, this is impressive." I don't know if he's fully on the Ireland under twenty-one bandwagon like I am, but I digress. And then, yeah, um, he, he said he's going to watch the 89 documentary. He was watching the Charity Shield. It was community. It's the Charity Shield. I'm not going to say Community Shield. Yeah. It, it, quietly optimistic about Arsenal, as long as we don't sell the players are actually good and we can manage to sell some of the dross. But Rich Fan, yeah, he knows his stuff about that. Oh, that's good. Really that. does. So- but it was it was really great kind of having it having it on as well and just having people from kind of, disparate places with mm. disparate opinions and one of the things i got from doing the show is actually there's so much more you could go into you could do sort of five six hours on aw i know steph you've just written an article previewing previewing all out and you probably find yourself that there's so many directions you can go in when you're describing a storyline and how it could work absolutely mm. i felt like right working on that today 
it was so easy to write. Like, it ended up being like uh, 1,500 words, which is ridiculous. But it all just like, came out of me because their storylines were so well written that I don't think I could possibly have done that for SummerSlam or Payback or anything. Just with the AW one, is yeah, their, their, their storylines are, are definitely more um, well-developed, shall we say. <laughs> I think there's only there's only one way to follow it up as well, JP. It's the after listening to you with Braden and Davey talking about the Impact X division. Ah. JP, we need that Impact Roundtable. The people are asking for it on Twitter. Uh, they are. <laughs> only you can do it. I love that they, ca- they cast you as like the X division expert as well. I, fi- I watched a lot of X division. <laughs> I really did. I watched a lot of bad X division, which is always a temptation. And I think the thing I wanted to do is just to choose a kind of disparate. But I also wanted some some early i wanted tna mm. i didn't want impact i wanted tna and it's it, it, we will get to talking about impacts later on and i'll easily explain why but it was great fun kind of wanting to go through some of the more sort of hidden gems that kind of get forgotten like the Saban shelley match from genesis in 2009 that's great um and there's the kind of obvious stuff and getting to watch the um uh, the Joe Daniels AJ match again, which is just—I mean, it just is just relentless, pure motion, mm. and it's people at kind of their athletic best at that stage. Like Joe at that point is able to kind of like kind of space out his big spots, and when he does like the kind of twisting tope over the top rope and stuff, and this is stuff that you kind of envisage when you see the opening of the of the shows and the rest of it, but are oh, that, and there are a couple of cracking guys as well. So it was, uh, absolute, yeah. Pleasure to go on. And my voice will give up at some point over this as well. I enjoyed um, it. You were giving it lots of plugs out there to grapple as well. Uh, oh, yeah. I didn't hear what's, what star are you, are you, are you with Meltzer on that three way? Is that a five star match? I never thought yeah. it was, to be honest. I, I don't know. Maybe I need to go back and watch it again because it is kind of spotty, I think, but it's like the perfect spot. It's a bit like, you know when I don't I don't want to do down like like a Dragon Gate, but you'll hear people say their matches are spotty sometimes, and it's like right, even mm. if that's true, like the 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 work you have to put in to pull off those spots and make it as perfect as it is is impressive uh, enough on its own. I think that's kind of the argument with that match as well. Um, but yeah, I think I think at the time I gave it four and a half. Uh, but yeah, a solid five on grapple. Nothing wrong with that. I would. My kind of thoughts, oh, I'm boring like this, is I look at it like films, and therefore this is just like a genre of a film kind of done to perfection. Mm. So, like, I, I I really love Mad Max Fury Road, mm. and I think it's just an amazing film. I kind of think it's like the best sort of action film that you could possibly have in many ways, but then Die Hard is a different type of action film, and I also think that would be five stars. And so you can have kind of, like perfection but within a type of match so there is that five star death match out there mm. I just have yet to see it I um, mean Ricky Shane Page and Nick Gage would say definitely but carry on yeah they would um, <laughs> I only gave but, it four and a half I didn't go five it's fine no it's a step too far but it's it's kind of it, it's the thing that kind of causes debate and I think it's of the X Division matches it's the one that kind of surmises it and you're just amazed that you just think these should be your three stars for the main event scene, no? Mm. But it was still at that point in time the Jeff Jarrett show. Yeah. So, and as much as we love Double J, it was like that was his biggest failing. Because I think on the um, there's another sh- 
match that we looked at, and he was main eventing in it against Monty Brown. And I remember I went, I remember I went and watched that match again. Oh, the crowd just completely deflates the moment he wins. Yeah, it just like the air is completely out of the room. And I think the ultimate X match is beforehand, and that's just like fucking nuts, and the place is going mental. But. He, he was lucky at the time because, like, Triple H was the internet's big bad at the time as, like, holding all the baby faces down. So he got most of the heat, didn't he, from, like, the forums and the likes of us. Whereas Jarrett, like, in his little universe, my world, was just as bad. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Steph, if we, if we do that, if that roundtable happens, are you coming on? Are you, you going to be uh, are you an impact expert? Are you a Jeff Jarrett expert? I'm absolutely not an impact or a Jeff Jarrett episode. Yeah, that's one I'd be sitting out. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Are you not going to go through the classic TNA archives then? Their YouTube gives them most of the good stuff for free. Yeah, more reason to do it. Maybe, but if their recent stuff's anything to go by. <laughs> That's a fair point. Yeah. Having seen <laughs> most of that. Their recent stuff doesn't really make you want to invest mm. in, uh, in going back. <laughs> Look, it's a hard life being a hardcore TNA fan. JP knows. Like, I, I do feel sorry for you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like that with Ring of Honor for a while, but then, you know, once it got shit in 2007, I cut off. Like, I've got no I've got no attachment to these Jay Lethal years or the HD Net years and stuff. I could walk away. JP just keeps going back. That's the difference. It's bad. It feels... I don't want to make light of it, but it just feels like a very bad relationship <laughs> that I've got myself into with this program. And I just suffer through it every once in a while. And then I put my head in my hands. Mm-hmm. So I'm a recovering TNA fan, but I might as well just like never fucking accept the chip, frankly, and just sort of relapse every once in a while, put my head in my hands in shame, try and move on. And then here I am two weeks later talking about it again. <laughs> uh, well, if it's not next at Roundtable, JP, I'm going to hope it's uh, it's coming soon. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm sure there's a good, good laundry list of guests. Who I'm open to ideas as well, for, you know, from people. Nah, TNA or nothing, that's all the people want. Uh, I think so, isn't it? They just want <laughs> fucking t- It's going to be, there might be a few TNA Roundtables. I think there might be some early years TNA, because I think there's bits of this that need to be showcased. There you go, yeah. 20 years of the fucking... Place, Multi-part series, JP, no, that's what the people want. The TNA audio documentary that no one asked for, <laughs> and I will, and I'll spend hours delivering, which is kind of like my fandom of fucking TNA, isn't it? Hours spent for zero reward, <laughs> with nobody on the other end of the call listening to you talk about yeah. impact. That's uh, that's how it goes, screaming into the void. <laughs> the uh, the other thing I was going to say is obviously while uh, you're both busy doing a lot of podcasts lately, uh, Steph surprised us uh, last week. Uh, yeah, you've been uh, you've been busy as well, Steph. We uh, we saw yeah. you on uh, on on the Rev Pro TV show on uh, on Fight. Uh, kept that one quiet. Yeah, I I did my best. <laughs> <laughs> How was it? How did that go? Bloody work. Uh yeah, it was really good. It was really um, it was fun to film and it was fun to be a part of. I think there were some really great uh, matches on it. Um, I think they they did a really good job of presenting a show in the circumstances um, aesthetically. And I do think there was some really good action on it. Mm. And there was me with extra bonus. <laughs> <laughs> Can't argue with that. There you go. Anytime Rev Pro comes up, we have to, uh, we'll have to reference that now, but yeah, obviously mm. it was a, uh, we reviewed the show. Um, I did enjoy it. I'm going to, I'm going to be talking about, Oh, what was that? 
and just saying yes i heard your review yeah we, I mean, we were nice we said we didn't say anything bad i don't think about yourself uh, <laughs> that yeah. audio could have been better better i'm gonna throw that out there yeah there is that there is that yeah um, but like we're gonna be reviewing it in full on uh on bwe this week coming up as well but you know i think i'll you know, one thing's going to be there is going to be criticism for the performance on performers on the show and the show up and in general. Um, but I was going to ask, like, from your point of view, was it it was something you were comfortable doing, and you know, it was a, a comfortable atmosphere to be in from a from a you know the one the safety point of view from a COVID point of view, and you know, to the the safeguarding question. I think a lot of people all have. Yeah, uh, well, I hundred percent felt comfortable doing it, or you know, when they've done it, yeah. but. Um, from the COVID standpoint, I mean, like you guys <laughs> know me and I've told you before about the uh, anxiety I've had during this COVID pandemic and how um, like I know Bano has seen me talking to him while sanitizing my hands for no reason. <laughs> because I'm that paranoid. Um, so as far as like from a COVID standpoint, uh, I felt totally safe, which is something totally unexpected for me and we did get uh covid tests and we were all just kept together so mm. anyone that thinks we didn't get covid tests like we did that that actually happened um uh, as far as like from safeguarding i mean i i felt totally safe and i felt like there was there would never be a problem and there's definitely people there you can speak to um you know, as well, like everyone there is very open. And I think people, um, you know, people that don't know Andy and were annoyed at him, maybe not giving them all the rules and regulations out there that they wanted. Um, for the people that are performers, like we, we know what's going on. And I understand like the argument that it should be out there, but Andy, I think, as people should have heard in the podcast he did with Will Cooling, he's a very open, approachable person. And for me, like, I felt totally safe with the whole show and I'm happy I did it and I am I am happy that it happened. Hmm. And there'll be another one in two weeks. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, they've got a going to be a regular thing it looks like are we allowed to call you steph pro yet i think that's the main thing jp wants to know because we want to we want to title this episode we're always after good ideas aren't we jp i oh, wish think of something better than steph pro though because that that could be pro anything <laughs> rev steph rev chase does rev steph work it's not as cool as rev joe no it's not i just I just like feel bad for you guys because you ousted one. Uh, oh. You ousted Joe for for being ousted. A... <laughs> we chased them right. off. <laughs> Push back on that. <laughs> then you got infiltrated by another person. <laughs> Can't get away from the place, can we? We have no choice. It, oh, yeah. it will always be covered, like it or not. It's just it's but, just yeah. a long contract dispute, like Brock Lesnar. That's what it is. Grapple Gareth wasn't paying yeah. Joe the big bucks. Uh, he stepped away for a while, and he's just seeing if uh, anyone can fill his shoes. <laughs> but um, yeah, I would I would say like anyone that um, doesn't or didn't want to watch the show for their own reasons, like I totally understand that. But as far as for people that worked on the show, um, we can all make our own decisions and make up our own minds about it. And I don't think ever coming after anyone that worked on the show, especially certain people, is mm -hmm. ever. <laughs> uh, a good thing to do. Yeah. 
yeah. Yeah, that's it. It's kind of what we talked about, wasn't it, last week, JP? Mm. With, you know, again, yeah. totally understand that people didn't even listen to our review, to be honest. It's kind of one of the reasons yeah. we left it to the end. I know it's a, it's a sore subject for a lot of people, and it's something we went back and forth on, and, you know, we were, you know, we weren't entirely positive on, you know, like some of the, the fact that, you know, some of the safeguarding stuff isn't out there public, and the fact that maybe the show was running, um, and we were vocal about that, but, you know, uh, yeah, I think there's, it's a it's a, it's a difficult one, and I totally understand why you know some wouldn't want to hear that or watch it. Mm. I think a lot of the conversation just went elsewhere. Mm. Discord, Facebook, mm-hmm. it was just a case where the conversation's being shut down, mm. so people just decided simply not to engage with it there, and that's going to happen whether it's the chat on Fi or or anywhere else. That you know, mm. it's. You just move people onto different social media platforms. Mm. Oh, that 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 chat room was uh, was quite busy on 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 fight. I did see someone asking asking if you'd marry them, Steph. I don't know if you wanted to just throw that answer out or what, but there was a lot of uh, <laughs> there was a lot of activity in that fight chat. Oh dear! How much money he's got before he answered that? <laughs> fair, fair point of view. Um, was it was it T Khan? <laughs> Yeah, I hear he's quite rich. <laughs> I'll marry him. Oh, me too. I don't know, JP, if he's yeah. heard any of this podcast over the last two years, though, we're done for. Uh, then again, oh, you know, maybe, maybe if you listen to your roundtable, maybe uh, maybe we'll be all good. Yeah. There is a point where, yeah, pre- if he went back, oh, I wonder what these archives are like. It's like, well, well we're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'll never live down literally the first episode of this podcast on Grapple when Gareth put his trust in us was just a big, big tone blanks dogs flag. Uh, yeah. Sorry, oh, yeah. Gareth. Sorry, Gareth. And, en- and, en- and ending with um, Come On Ye Black and Tans and Martin <laughs> Brennan at the end of it as well. Oh, problematic from beginning to end, JP. That's, uh, that's the Grapple story. Um, Martin, Martin Brennan is a national hero. <laughs> That's what, make we, a comeback. that's what we called the episode as well, Martin Brennan. Bloody yeah. hell. Are we still here? Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll move on swiftly before uh, Gareth sacks us like he, like he did, Joe. Uh, not only that, so <laughs> Gareth's still on holiday. Hopefully, he'll be back uh, back with us next week. But I did want to mention there, you know, we uh, I alluded to uh, to Brock Lesnar there. But before we get into the, the we've got hev- a heavy section of reviews this week. Firstly, you know, the New Japan Jingu uh, Stadium show, the AEW Dynamite Payback. Uh, Got a good uh, documentary review coming up uh, later for fans of David Arquette. And yeah, there'll be some impact talk, you know, last three minutes, something like that, JP. We'll sort it out. Uh, it's <laughs> what it deserves. But, but before we get there, yeah, it has broken tonight. So I don't know if it's even a story at this point. We're in Brock Lesnar contract negotiation season once again. I suppose there's a headline there because according to PW Insider, he is completely out of contract. Therefore, WWE have uh, pulled his merchandise off uh, WWE.com. He is not a WWE employee right now. Uh, there's been lots of fantasy booking uh, I've noticed on Twitter already of you know where's he going to end up oh yeah maybe he could go back to New Japan remember that that, that was great last time let's do that again uh, like he could go to, go to AEW you know wrestle a load of lads who are half his size yeah that, to be fair actually a lot of his best matches came with uh, lads half his size but you know maybe we could redo the Moxley feud uh, yeah do you give any do you give any uh, legs to this story again, or are we just at that time, JP, where it's just going to be a case of uh, we'll uh, he'll, he'll maybe he'll maybe do like the 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 chat with Big Tone at some points, you know, drive his price yeah. up. But we all we all know where he's going to end up. We all know WrestleMania next year, heel Roman Reigns, babyface Brock Lesnar. Uh, it's probably coming. Yeah, I mean, 
in a kind of non-COVID world, he'd be going to a Jacksonville Jaguars game, mm. wouldn't he? He'd be in a box there. He'd just be like, no, I'm just here watching a game, um, which would be great. Realistically, he's done this before. Um, Vince will pay to stop him from going to AEW. I actually think if he wasn't going to go there, the most likely place is weirdly somewhere like Ryzen in Japan, because I could see him doing MMA, mm. not wanting to get steroid tested. That doesn't happen with Ryzen. I'm not sure if it happens with Bellator, but Bellator's on kind of shaky ground. So in MMA terms, he's kind of left with just UFC. Now, there's a money fight there, but is it like, which would just be Stipe versus Brock, which I imagine Stipe Miocic would absolutely love. And so I think that would be a much more likely route for him to go down than ending up in AEW. In my head, he's coming out, arguably, if they had big screens up, he should be doing the countdown to the Fulham Arsenal game on the opening day of the season because that'd be a hell of a way to introduce him. Like, I don't know. I mean, as an Arsenal <laughs> fan, I'd be worried if you saw on the big screen a picture of Brock Lesnar come in and he just, like, I don't know. It's also all your defensive like, roles, JP, Fulham. to be fair. Like, imagine as a centre-back, it'd work. Oh, fuck yeah. Even if he's on the touchline looking at you, that'd be something. <laughs> but if you fantasy book him in AEW, really, it doesn't go anywhere. No. Because he just doesn't suit the product at all. And he wouldn't be asked right. either. I can't imagine him putting no. the effort in. Like, he needs a Vince on his neck, on his back, doesn't he? You'd think he'd just take the money again like he did when he was in New Japan last time. He's lazy generally for Vince. Mm. Like, so what's going to make him work now? Nothing's really going to make him work. I've often wondered why, in some ways, he hasn't done the odd acting role. Mm. I know that sounds kind of silly as well. <laughs> That's true. But do you know what I mean? Like, as a kind of big guy who says nothing in a superhero film, he yeah. would he would kind of fit. Um, and, like, it's it's funny for him in career choice. What is he now, 42? Is he? 43. Looks up. 43. 43. Googled, yeah. Jesus, he's a year older than me. <laughs> And you're in the hey. best shape of your life, JP. Come on. Yeah. You could take him. Twice me. <laughs> Honestly, he could hide me. and It just wouldn't make any difference to his body shape at all if he <laughs> absorbed me. Anyway, I know what's going on. That's a horrible scenario. Um, yeah, so I just think, like, he's much more, like, he sits it out. Mm. Ratings go down at some point. Mm. He gets signed back. That's the usual pattern of this. And if it's not that, then there are some other kind of left field options that are much more likely. New Japan, considering they keep a a grudge against some companies that we've mentioned earlier on in the show, Mm. um, but New Japan, if they hold a grudge, like the way Lesnar treated them and the IWGP title, and he didn't want to like job to Tanahashi and and Nakamura, and he just treated it fucking awfully and put in zero effort. It's hard to see where else like that they're not going to take him so i think a lot of the dream matches really end up staying as dream matches don't they i think I, there's no way he's not staying with wwe he'll be back by wrestlemania because vince will pay absolutely anything for him um and also i think tony khan would be silly to of all people sign lesnar mm. it's such a wwe he's such a wwe person that there's nowhere AEW could go with him at all. Like mm. at this age, bringing in Brock Lesnar would just seem 
it would just seem silly. So I think this is just another <laughs> block, just sitting it out to get as much money as he can. I'm sure he doesn't want to wrestle during COVID era anyway. So when once there's fans, he'll return them with whatever they're doing with Roman Reigns right now. They're, they're setting up a pretty good story there for Brock, for Paul Heyman's number one guy to mm-hmm. make a return, find out he's being cheated on, and build up that big match. Oh, I'm disappointed now, guys. To be honest, I was just excited for the Brock Lesnar indie run. Thought my team <laughs> on, like, you know, GCW show, <laughs> Effie's Brunch. <laughs> GCW. Look, if they can book Brock Lesnar versus Nick Gage, that's a money match. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. They should just do that in a massive field and just let it go and pull it. Do a Brock's farm. You know, travel fuck all then. That there you go. That, that's a WrestleMania weekend show. Like, throw down I'm a I'm sure Brock's he'd farm. love that, wouldn't he? Loads of indie wrestling fans turning up at his house. Get Sable on the show, you know. I was going to say, if there's one match I'm holding out for Lesnar to have, it's a mixed tag with Sable. Mm. Like, the, <laughs> the moment she reappears, that's what I've been waiting for this whole time. A mixed tag with Sable. <laughs> Against who? Uh, oh, my God. Well, what I think would be hilarious, this would be a terrible match, by the way, would be Triple H and Steph. <laughs> Versus Lester and, and Sable, can you imagine it? Oh, because I, I actually can, something... that's what's terrifying. If they're going to do something that big, Steph is going to want in on that. So it will have to be Steph. It will be one of those situations like with Londa, where you have all these women working, but when it comes to getting the big match, Steph's like, pick me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it would be Steph Triple H. And it would be terrible, but wonderful at the same time. Oh, there you go. That's where our fancy book I can't unsee that yeah. now I've seen it. I'm imagining this match. I suppose I've just replaced Kurt Angle and Ronda Rousey. Just with, I'm just imagining the dynamics of how that would work. It would be awful, but you would just be completely glued to it. Oh, yeah, everyone would watch it. It would, yeah, <laughs> you couldn't take your eyes off it. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I was going to say, like, on, on the AEW thing, I reckon, I reckon Tony Khan will have the conversation. I could see that. If I was him, I think I'd have the conversation, but I don't... Well, I think Brock will have the conversation to get that contract up, offer up from Vince. He'll have he'll record the conversation to send to Vince in the voicemail. <laughs> he'll tease going back to UFC again. Yeah, we've, yeah. we've been here before, haven't yeah. we? Um, yeah, so... Yeah, as, as much as I want to see Indy Brock or I want to see him do a Euro tour if there's any European <laughs> Indies left after all this. See him on a York Hall show, maybe, you know? Electric ball. Brock... Book Brock in Rev Pro. Brock Lesnar versus Mad Kurt. Take my money. Okay, well, that, that's one. That could work. Uh, but yeah, I think the, the most likely scenario is yeah, he does end up back in WWE. But yeah, we've been here before. Let's see if they uh, if they do throw us any curveballs. Um, I was going to say actually on that on that indie point of view, that is another news story that dropped this week, like briefly. JP, like, uh, did you see that uh, the GCW uh, are looking to bring uh, their WrestleMania weekend back in October? Um, they're, they're doing the, you know the collective shows that, that were planned for Mania Weekend uh, Effie's yeah. Big Day Brunch the Janela show there's a freelance show in there Black Label Pro Shimmer Bloodsport Paradigm Pro Wrestling basically the full slate of Mania Weekend shows they're doing them in, on, in, in October in Indianapolis um, Friday October the 9th it is um, through to the Sunday like we were complaining last week about not really having a proper WrestleMania weekend where the SummerSlam weekend, but I don't know. They're doing it for the culture show as well. IW's in the mix too. 
Uh, I don't know any any interest in that JP. I imagine we'll be reviewing most of it, but I don't yeah. know. the the main thing to be honest I've seen from people is like, okay, is this does this not seem soon first week in October and we're, we're back mm. we're, we're 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 inviting travel. I think a lot of it's like uh, fans who had Mania weekend tickets is going to be make goods, um, and you're probably going to get a lot of people from traveling far out to come to it. I don't know. I don't know how wise a decision it is. Yeah, I think. Under other, obviously, in non-COVID circumstances, you'd be thinking to yourself, this is a really interesting idea. Can indie wrestling kind of draw by itself? And how much can it draw? And can that attract an audience? And I think there's a kind of place for a kind of two-day wrestling festival, mm. sort of similar to the WXW ones that we've yeah. been to. And before. outside of WrestleMania weekend, you know, not, not yeah. piggybacking on WWE and doing your own thing. Exactly. Just to kind of see what the landscape is. Mm. I think, unfortunately, it's just, the the time it's yeah it's far too soon and and you know we're September so it, it's ridiculous it, it's going to be far too soon like what is the venue that they're in um, is, it, is it all outdoors uh, the Marion County Fairground so you would imagine so uh, I don't know I mean I mean the big bloody marquee yeah. October. I mean, I don't know that much about the weather in Indianapolis at that time of year, but, you know, I'm, it's October. They have done a, jo- a decent enough job in the shows I've seen, you know, where when they have been, and they have been running outdoors, and it's been, mm. you know, masks, reduced capacity. Unfortunately, that all goes out the window as soon as Nick Gage makes an entrance, but generally <laughs> speaking, they've been pretty good at enforcing that stuff and enforcing the social distance and mm. stuff. Um, but, yeah, it does, it does just seem a bit soon. I mean... I don't know. I suppose, I suppose the argument is, you know, they're going to be following the, the laws locally. I know mm. um, Brett Lauderdale has said that the fifty thousand in the hole from from Mania weekend, um, and this is an attempt to claw that back. So it's a bit like the Rev Pro thing. I get the business argument. Um, then again, like, the, are we all getting mad at our Mars going to fucking Crete and disappear? <laughs> you know, wasn't, wasn't that story yeah. in the newspaper the other day about, like, isn't, wasn't there some play, plane coming back? Was it coming back to Belfast? And it was full of, like, I think, like, six people on the plane tested positive for COVID. I mean... Is that the one, one where they weren't wearing any masks? I think so, yeah. What was that stuff? I was going to say, a plane landing in Belfast and six COVID people is not what I want to hear. <laughs> The entire family is in Belfast. <laughs> but I was going to say with these shows, I think if it's like a, if it's a traveling fan situation, that's what worries me the most um, mm. just because of, of people traveling. And as I was saying earlier about my COVID fears, I would not personally go to these shows um, mm. myself. If I lived in Indianapolis, I would go to Effie's Big Gay Brunch just because, of course, but that's, probably the only show I'd go to. I wouldn't go to every single show and mix with everyone all day. Mm. I think I'd pick one, but I would yeah, I think it's too soon for this. I don't know. Maybe they should have waited till like Christmas time and done an indie Christmas event or something. Yeah. And it's it's weird it being Indianapolis as well, because as much as I'm like, uh, is it a good idea having loads of people fly out and travel out to Indianapolis? Are people actually going to even do that? Like outside of a mania weekend, is that are people up for that? I think they've they've got a show there starting next month, um, and they they just said it worked and it was in a, it was a it was a place where they're quite happy to run. Um, not really, and again, yeah, I suppose you can't really can, can you do New York? I know their cases have gone down again now, but like that's probably expensive to do. 
Uh, probably just they be allowed to. Mm, yeah, there's that too. They pro- I mean, really, they probably shouldn't be allowed to do this. Uh, but maybe that's part of the But they've been the doing it now for a while. Yeah, yeah. And, and the individual shows have been okay. I mean... Yeah. Uh, yeah. It just, it's just it's a lot, isn't it? Them and lots of people coming. I think it's... Yeah, tra- traveling's what worries me the most in mm-hmm. life right now. Even tube or bus, not even talking about plane. <laughs> you one of the people all masked up, you got like those visors that they wear and uh, the hairdressers and stuff, or have you not even gone that far? I've not even gone on a tube or a bus. Wow. <laughs> so I'm on there like, if I can't walk to it, I'm not going. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've taken a few taxis though, and even that makes me um, worried, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not, I'm not getting on the tube still. Uh, it's probably, uh, probably a good way to live. Uh, oh, yeah, on that note, by the way, the uh, the COVID test I had last week, it did come back negative. It was just a, a bit of man flu slash cold I had. So I'm alive, everyone. So at least About 3 a.m. they notified you, wasn't it? <laughs> they did, yeah. I got a... Dude, it's quite quick, to be honest. Like uh, it, The first test came in with just over 24 hours. That one was mm, closer to 48. But, yeah, 3 in the morning, I got a text through. So, yeah, you know, it's just working overtime. I had one a few months ago, mm. and... They notified me in about six hours. Mm. That quick. So rapid testing indeed. I take I teach, so I'm going into the lion's den next week. Oh no. Like that's like for yeah, and that's part of the, the fear that we all have about going back and wondering what's gonna happen and is there gonna be more changed guidelines and the rest of it. So yeah. I'm, I'm planning on having a, a cheeky COVID test before I go back. Are the kids going to be wearing masks in the classroom? They've That one is a bone of contention, mm. but I think that is going to be allowed because I think my sons get to do that and mm. they're back on Friday. Mm. And and we we have been told that we can as well. But And at the same time, it's bubbles and everything else, which is kind of similar to, to what you had you know, when you're Rep Pro, we are all having to kind of be in a bubble and, and it's the same thing then for schools. It's just that then you're relying on everyone in that bubble sticking to it. Mm. And with the best will in the world... With kids involved. Kind of, yeah, you kind of think... You can't trust kids. Like, but it's, but it's also a case of, like, you have to kind of really drill it in. But then I teach, like, 16 to 19-year-olds as well. So you're kind of expecting them to kind of go, look, you know better than this. But it's... It's funny because there's a lot of virtual teaching and then there's a lot of kind of, there's a bit of it there at the moment, but there are places where they're trying to get everyone back in, mm. like believe it or not. So it's it's terrifying and we've got the Eaton Honey Monster um, leading the crusade. Or is he back working? I don't know. So I thought I'd throw some political content, content in there because that gobshite's disappeared again. <laughs> and you're not talking about Joe, by the way, when you say the gobshite's disappeared. No, very much <laughs> I, I'm, I'm the Joe Spirit animal is coming through on that on the Boris Johnson bullshitter front. <laughs> poll poll rating sinking, thank fuck. <laughs> and we got No Deal Brexit to look forward to. Uh, let's hope they sink even further, and the same happens to the cunts in America as well. But yeah. <laughs> um, Oh. On the uh, on the GCW front, yeah. If uh, when you've got that clown running your country, I don't know. I probably understand why shows like this are uh, are able to happen right now. But I suppose at least we can. We'll probably review it, JP, from uh, the safety of our couches at home. 
Uh, at least there'll be that. Uh, well, maybe some of it, not all of it. Uh, I enjoyed that Black Label Pro show that we watched. Oh, mm. that was really good. I so, to watch. I'm kind of game. There's enough good talent out there that you're going to pick and choose the cards. But I think there's enough good indie talent out there to get some decent cards together that, that I'd be interested in seeing. I guess we'll uh, we'll see how that uh, that all comes together, and if it is uh, WrestleMania worthy. But yeah, let's get to uh, the shows uh, we're going to review. I don't know, guys. We've got New Japan to talk, AEW to talk, WWE to talk, and that uh, Arquette documentary to talk as well. Uh, I suppose we started with WWE last week, so we start with some New Japan. That's why we got you on, Steph. You're the uh, you're the New Japan expert. We rein in when we want to have a, a deep dive on New Japan. Uh, this being their uh, their first uh, apparently their first outdoor stadium show in nineteen years. Nineteen years. That's I didn't realize that at all. Like I, I think it's because I think of um, that. Remember that one in the rain where it was um, Minoru Suzuki and Okada, but that wasn't a New Japan show, was it? That was Suzuki's own show. Because mm. that was a great visual. Uh, we didn't quite get that here, but yeah, that was shocking to me, to be honest. And to, if anything, it made for. I thought the presentation was great here. Like, I honestly, I was worried about it, mainly based on those King of Pro Wrestling shows earlier in the week, where they were they first introduced the you know press here to cheer um, system they've been uh, trialing the last week or so. Uh, but even that, I don't think distracted really. I thought it looked really good in the stadium. Thought the obviously the fans were all uh, spaced out, but it made for a great visual. English commentary was back. I know that's not for everyone, but like I was made up to have uh, to have Kevin Kelly especially back uh, in the booth with uh, with Chris Charlton there. Uh, I think they. It was flawless. It was uh, more flawless. To be honest, it felt like they were probably using the same technology we use for our Twitch streams, uh, JP, but they uh, they pulled it off. Uh, it, it, there wasn't really any hiccups there. Um, and all in all, it, it kind of, I think the all the pieces came together for this to be a, a really enjoyable show at a time when uh, when New Japan uh, needed it. Didn't manage to, to watch it live myself, but uh, I know you were up uh, early in the morning on, uh, on Saturday watching this one, stuff. Yeah, I think it was visually the uh, most aesthetically pleasing show I've seen definitely of the COVID era. Mm. I loved the outdoor setting so much. And I think they, the entrances were so great. It gave it such a, a grand feeling, despite the fact that obviously the stadium wasn't full of fans, but mm. standing in the wind in that feather cape oh, was yeah. such a beautiful sight. And then I, like I, I totally overreacted in my love for this, but I loved Evil's entrance so much in that stadium that I've watched his entrance alone at least 20 times since because I just felt they did such a great job of darkening the stadium for him to come in, mm. give him the smoke. It was so good. It was better than any outdoor mania Undertaker entrance that WWE have ever done. Like, whoever... Uh, did the lighting for that should be commended because Evil did not lose any of his um, goth power by entering in a stadium where there was still some light there. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, the show, it, it went so fast. I, I don't know how you felt because you weren't watching it live, but mm. me, I was, you know, three or four matches in and I was going, is this, why is this going so fast? It was really quick like no nonsense watch because you're used to new japan doing so many like six man tags and stuff like that and this was just all like all killer no filler mm. show really 
Yeah, it was, tight. it was a tight run time as well. Like, when I loaded up on New Japan World, it was definitely sub three hours. I think it wasn't that yeah. far over two and a half. Um, I had actually tried to watch it live. I watched the first two matches and then I fell asleep. Um, but that's just me not being able to get up early at the moment. Um, call it lockdown oh, brain. 9 a.m. is, I prefer a 10 a.m. start, to be honest. Oh, yeah. When it's like the six or seven in the morning start, you've got no chance from me, no. at least. Uh, unless you throw a cheeky Greg's in, usually I'll, uh, I'll I'll try and make that work. Um, but yeah, when I threw it on, it was just, yeah, it, it was a very, very easy watch for that reason, I think. Because of the length, I think the majority of the matches were, were, were at least good. Uh, maybe the first two were uh, probably the, the most wobbly matches on the show. Uh, I didn't love the main event, but I did love the result. And uh, we can get into that. But yeah, I thought this was an, uh, an easy watch, JP. I did, because like you, I watched it on delay, so I ended up watching the afternoon because mm. I went to watch a 10 a.m. screening of Tenet. Oh, how was that? Um, I thought it was fucking nonsense. I, <laughs> I almost went and saw that today. You know, I was like, I, mm. I, I like the the new rules where it's you, you're separated from other people, and I was like, oh, maybe that'd be a nice experience. No, I shouldn't go. Okay. Oh, as a cinema experience, it's quite nice. Mm. I had convinced myself. I'm sorry. I know it's got nothing to do with New Japan. Halfway through, I convinced myself that I'd gone deaf because <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> That I could hear Robert, a word that Robert Pattinson said. I didn't know if it was the cinema, and the boys, my boys, had gone to see it with their mum when they were on holiday. And I'd spoken uh, when I, I'd spoken to her, and I was like, "Did you hear it?" And she was like, "Yeah." I was like, "Right, am I going deaf?" And then I read stuff online about it. It's it's just like a bad filmmaker has re- tried to remake Inception, but for a fucking load of money. There's not. I don't even know where to begin with it, really. It's it's bollocks. I will go that far. Joe had very strong opinions, because I think I went to The View, and he went to The Curzon, and The View's half the price. So I think there was like a legitimate bit of anger about, right, I've, I've gone and travelled into town for this, whereas I walked to a View, which is about half an hour away. So I didn't watch this, and I did think after about two hours, 15 minutes, I thought, well, I wish I'd watched that fucking New Japan show. <laughs> I thought partly partly the main event, I just thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait my time. But when I did get round to seeing it, it's kind of similar to really to what Steph said. I wasn't, I wouldn't, I thought it was a step in the right direction for them. I thought it was a lot more clarity to this show than what they'd been in other shows. Mm. And on the whole, I was generally happy about the kind of direction and it kind of made sense that the evil, I kind of looked at the evil runners. He tried all cheating and it's not worked. So he's going to have to actually improve in order to get to that level. That's not going to work for him to be a champion. It kind of worked once, but it's not going to work again. You know, in the way they do that kind of long-term story about the possible evolution of how they get to be at the top spot. But like the stuff you said about the visuals, I thought the visuals are really good. Two and a half hour shows. We're going to talk about this payback. I'm really in favor of those. Like I, I don't see a problem with those. I think two and a half hour is kind of like, feels like the optimum length. Mm. Um, don't waste it. Watch your tenant. Watch this instead. Definitely see that. But it, it's like on the whole, there was nothing really like blow away for me in terms of match quality. And that's still the thing that I'm not seeing from these big new Japan shows that, that I like. Yeah. I mean, I can see that. I mean, I, 
I struggle to go over four stars in this empty arena period as it is. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm just looking through my grapple ratings on the show. I think I gave a lot of uh, 3.75s out for uh, Takahashi Ishimori. The, the tag I gave that as well. Um, oh, and uh, Minoru Suzuki uh, and Shingo as well. I think I gave 3.75 as well. Nothing ever quite quite breaks four. I think it's probably the the rule uh, of the MC Arena uh, setting. But I don't know. I thought there was at least a consistency here with this. Yeah. Um, Main events aside, um, I don't know if Steph's going to have different <laughs> views than us on this. I don't know. Would you describe Evil's title run, JP? Is the uh, is it like the uh, is it the tenant of uh, of New Japan? Is tenant the uh, the Evil's title run of Christopher Nolan films? Is that is that what it is? Oh, like if you're thinking of, so you're thinking of Ghetto as Nolan, <laughs> and where does Evil fit in this canon? Yeah, because if you're thinking of Akada as what either the Dark Knight trilogy really thinking mm. him and Tanahashi is it te- oh because that makes me think like Jay White is kind of like what the prestige <laughs> that could work. Dunkirk I don't know yeah that, that, that uh, makes sense. potentially Steph um, shaking her head he's disgusted I don't enough about Christopher Nolan movies to be offended, so <laughs> <laughs> I assume I'm meant to be. It Dark really Knight, maybe? That's a Nolan film, isn't it? I, it could be Dark Knight. The Joker? I, I think That's very Joe White. Yeah, it it, it it kind of feels like for for his title run, it's like a necessary evil. It was a way of putting him up to a higher echelon so he can headline some future shows. Yeah, and if he gets to the final of a New Japan Cup again, then he's a credible contender. If he does well in the G1, he's credible in all of those matches. And at least then it might give them another bit of a draw on a card where somebody thinks there's a good chance of him beating any of the top liners. I just, like, I have seen good evil matches. There have been evil matches I really like. I mean, I think particularly against Kota Ibushi is one that sticks out, I think, from uh, from a G1. Um, and an Okada match as well. I think the one that, was it the one that he won? I think that was just like a really good match. So it's there. It's just, for me, he's going to need to step away from that top line because I think there's also the whole Bullet Club intra-Bullet Club factions that are kind of developing where there's almost feels like there's three leaders, three figureheads of it. Mm. And where does that whole whole thing go? So I think there's a whole him and his stable and storyline stuff to happen with him before he gets back anywhere near the kind of title picture. But I'd also say it's pretty inoffensive. And and we said it before, this is the time to experiment. So why not do it now if you're ever going to do that? And the good thing is the, the experiment's over. So, you know. Um, yes. <laughs> Sorry, Stan. I think you've, you've been higher on this, uh, this evil run than the Sorry. rest of us. Uh, no, I haven't. I'm not high on it at all. However, um, I don't think it was an experiment at, at all. I think it's mm. like clear that this is all Gato's plan has always been but we kind of just missed the middle of the story because of covid um which when they put the title on evil my first thought was this is some kind of covid like shocker thing mm. and then when you kind of learned that it that it wasn't um like for example even jericho said about Gato telling him evil was going to be like his next guy it's like okay so then i was completely shocked at this show when evil drop the titles so fast that now I just feel like I thought I knew what the story was like originally I was shocked then I thought okay I know what the story is going to be it's going to be evil 
his champion, but now he's it's been hot shotted off him. So now I'm just back to complete confusion at what they're doing. But um, I I don't I really don't know where he's going with this. I where I want him to go is Hiromu being the savior that vanquishes evil. But I'm not sure if that's where that's going either. Uh, I think I think you may be just, getting that in the mid card, maybe Wrestle Kingdom. I could see. I I still think Wrestle Kingdom right now. I still think it could lead to evil Naito again or evil Sonata, but that wouldn't be the main event. But mm. um, perhaps they move the title off him in order to put Sonata as the person that's going to feud with him. Uh, I just I was just I was very confused when Evil dropped that title because it, it just happened so fast but i do think that even if um you had evil booked to win i think once you decided to put the the match in a baseball stadium mm. there's no way you couldn't have naito winning at the end with fireworks going off mm. that was that was the visual that that you wanted i'm not even a naito fan but i can imagine every single naito fan like this is it you know it's as if gato he has to always think all right we're going to give the naito fans like something like they always have to get like a little slither of something. So he gets like the Wrestle Kingdom win and then nothing happens. And then you can just imagine him sitting booking this thinking, Oh God, it's in a baseball stadium. Yeah. I have to give it to Nido. Just give, we'll give him that. And then <laughs> he'll get nothing else for another like two years. He'll lose the belt like, pretty soon. Yeah. I, I did wonder though, Steph, is it good confused or bad confused? Um, I actually think it was kind of bad confused because uh, right. usually with Gato's booking, I, I think I just have like so much faith in it, but it always seems to make sense. And then because I felt the evil thing didn't make sense, but then I was convinced that it does make sense. Like there was a longer plan and this has always been the plan and whatever evil's the guy. And now that this has happened, I'm back to saying, no, yeah. it doesn't make sense. Like I think everyone thought he'd gone mad when he put the belt on Evil, but I think he actually went mad when he took it off. My my, <laughs> my theory on it is like I, I do agree with that. I do think you know they clearly are high on Evil. I mean I don't agree with it, but clearly you know they've had plans for Evil. I do think though that maybe something like this was coming, but not exactly this. I'm still of the the mind that if Kenta and Jay White were in the country. I don't think Evil would have had this mini run as like the as the top guy. I think it to what you said before, JP. It's it's you know at the end of the it's a bit like what AEW have done. AEW have been running in circles really and avoiding doing big big angles. You know at least for the majority of the pandemic, kind of hoping we can pull the trigger on a lot of stuff once we're back. Um, and you know obviously that's maybe slowly coming now, but you know that's been the idea. And I think that was it with New Japan. It was like, well, what can we do? We can experiment. We can play around with stuff. Evil's a guy that we really like and we want to get over. You know, a, like you said, JP, a little couple month run with the title will establish him at a certain level. That means, okay, going forward, yeah, he's not the top guy, but he can, you know, headline uh, odd shows here and there and have that that extra bit of credibility. I think I just think there's truth to maybe both sides of that story. I think that's maybe mm-hmm. what we've yeah. seen play out. I don't think he's going to be figured into anything major at Wrestle Kingdom unless we do get a big, you know, grudge match near-ish the top of the card with either, you know, Hiromu or Sonada. Um, But I think that's all all this was, really. Um, And I think, I wonder, I mean, they don't, you can't, it's hard to judge 
Ghetto and New Japan because they don't often, you know, make decisions on the fly. But I wonder if, you know, the idea that perhaps, you know, foreign wrestlers are going to start being able to come back to Japan. You know, they they may well have Kenta and Jay White back soon. Maybe that informed. If they don't know when they're getting them back, then it's so hard to book because you can even look at that. Maybe this whole evil thing is actually leading to something with Jay White because Jay White can't come back and just ignore the fact that evil went on this mini title run and basically took over his leadership at the time. But if you're not sure exactly when Jay can come back, it's all, it's all a little bit, you just don't know what you can't really actually in this situation book that far in advance. It's I, I can imagine Gato's very stressed out right now as a man that likes to plan everything out. This, this is really like, fucked him more than anyone else mm. you know rocks the flow chart doesn't it it really <laughs> does yeah, yeah a... and it's it, it's such a difficult position to be put in because i thought part of it is hiromu dropping the junior belt to ishimori <laughs> rather than a kind of quick exchange of titles because ishimori's there it seemed like also a way of taking hiromu out of the juniors oh yeah i was really happy when Hiromu lost. It was the only time I've ever been happy for him to lose because that junior title, when you have it, and it previously happened with Osprey, it becomes kind of an albatross around you to move on, and he needed to shed that. So I'm 100% thinking Hiromu's going to have an epic G1 run. And I'm not saying he's going to win, but I think he's going to be in it, and I think he's going to have an amazing run now that he shed that. Yeah, he's he's got to be considering like the the amount of people who've got available now. Considering they've done this and they've dropped the belts, like he's, if he's not in that G one, like something is something is sorely wrong. If he's not in that G one, then things truly don't make sense because when you have a guy as popular and great as that, you would not take that belt off him uh, without having the plan for him to no longer be in that division. I think. But uh, but yeah, I mean, as far as like uh, the show goes, I mean, we could talk that match. Uh, I assume nobody went higher than me on the uh, the main event three point two five. I went on Grapple uh, for Night of Evil. Uh, it, you know what? It yeah, wasn't. It wasn't better a, than the first one. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. a bad match. It just had that five minute pause period, didn't it? Well, you know, it was absolutely ridiculous in this case as well, where it looked like Naito, I think, was supposed to bump Red Shoes, wasn't he, when he came off the ropes? And Red Shoes kind of was not in position, so instead, Evil just grabbed him and threw him at the turnbuckle. I was like, yeah, there you go, there's your ref bump. Um, And then they just went straight into you know, the five minutes of, of interview. I know it paid off a story with LIJ and, you know, they finally unified to get rid of, you know, the Bullet Club lads, but I don't know. It's just, anytime you have that point in a match, it does take me out of it, but the bits either side of it were fine. Um, finishing sequence was fine. I'm happy with the result, so I can't complain too loud, but, you know, 3.25 for a, for a New Japan made event still isn't uh, giving it a, a glowing review, I don't think. No, I would have only gone three mm. and 0.5 for that or more would have been for Evil's entrance. <laughs> <laughs> he did look good in the dark, to be fair. Real king of darkness. Fantastic. I, I know I'm overreacting, but I, I'll never get over it. Anyone that thinks that The Fiend had an amazing entrance at the Thunderdome, that's nothing compared to Evil walking out in that baseball stadium. Like that's that's what I would stand for. Like especially Dick Togo as well. Yeah. How he was how he was dressed up. It just sort of, there was a wonderfully camp element to that entrance. I think I gave 0.25 extra for the fireworks at the end. Yeah, that was... And the fact that that 
that is a great visual that you use on all of those year in review promo packages that they do. It's mm. something that is such a good thing to do. And I actually think the experiment of them certainly going out to baseball stadiums is well worth continuing if they can get them at a relatively cheap rate. They have to continue with uh, the outdoor shows. That seriously, it looked so good. Yeah. Um, it really did. It it's just such a great visual. And if you can get it at a time when you're confident the weather will be all right, yeah, do it. Like, I know Nido said in his um, interview yesterday that he wants them to do more. He wants them to do like one summer show a year in a baseball stadium. Which I'm not really sure how that would work given what their schedule is. But if they could find a way to make maybe a G1 final worth it in a baseball stadium. Mm. I think that would be a really cool direction to go in, just to see all those visuals every year. They went to that dome for the Yakada Nakamura match, mm-hmm. and they would have done bigger business, but there was a typhoon that day, because I can remember it just pissing down, and it was showing it coming in from one of the sides. I think it was the Cebu dome they were at. And I didn't know if that often scared them off, because I can imagine the rent in and of itself is pretty mm-hmm. prohibitive. and mm-hmm. I don't know. This looked like a kind of minor league baseball stadium, maybe, but so they might be cheaper. And they love baseball in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing to add on. Not really. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> I think you like football as well, you know. So. Well, that's WH. Yeah. WH can tell us. <laughs> what did uh... What did, what did you guys think of the, the mid card? Like I, I talked about, like this being a consistent show. Just looking at my grapple ratings, as I say, I went three point seven five for Minoru Suzuki and Shingo, which I thought was just a a great fight. Um, Taiji Samori and Hiromu, same, just a really fun, maybe on the short side, uh, junior uh, match. And I really enjoyed the tag with uh, with Zack Sabre and, and Taichi against uh, Tanahashi mm-hmm. and Kota Ibushi in the uh, the end of that team. Uh, three very different matches, but uh, three matches that I, I really enjoyed uh, uh, overall. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed the Hiromu match so much. I uh, thought it was great. Um, I thought the... I love the story that they told with Kota and Tanahashi. And I think that um, this hearing the English commentary in this really helped to kind of fuller explain the story of what was going on. Mm. But it's just a great story and to see it come to the end, like this whole idea of Kota teaming with his mentor, but now his mentor is old and he's carrying the load and it's getting frustrating. It's just great. And um, I think it's definitely a good idea to end that tag team because we kind of need them as single stars now, especially going into the G1. Um, then Shingo and Minoru Suzuki was just great. And I was I, I was surprised at that result as well, of putting the belt on Suzuki. Yeah. I didn't expect that. Every now and then they just decide, you know what, we've got Suzuki knocking around. We might as well. Never titled one, why not? You know, we might as well have it. We'll 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 do the the little mini Minoru Suzuki push again. That's the thing about Suzuki though. If I had Suzuki on my roster, I'd be giving him like everything. I'd make him world champion. And they all they almost sometimes seem to like not resent the fact that they still have Suzuki, but it's as if they know fans love Suzuki. He's great. But really that's not the image we want to be projecting. So like let's try and not not give him what what we can and then if sometimes just like throw them a bone with something mm. but that was a shocking result but i can only imagine another person that's going to have a great g1 is uh, shingo because he did last year as well and he's he's definitely a future top guy he's someone ready ready to step up i think but he's like yeah. 
he's going to be yeah. the the. I mean, obviously, he's not exactly young himself, but I think he's you know he's got that Ishii role in these G ones going forward, like that dependable guy who's going to pull out you know most people's best matches on a, on a given day. Yeah, I'm hyped for uh, for him in the G one. It's it's also a good match to headline possibly some Kurokan shows down the road if That's you're true. doing some of those. I think that there's Never always, belt's always good, good for that, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it's kind of the point of having so many belts is they mm. want them to kind of headline these shows. And I was thinking like of the tag division as well. Like just put Ishii and Goto together mm. and put them in there against Dangerous Techers. And you're going to have, you know, there are possibilities. Like I agree with what Steph said in terms of Ibushi and Tanahashi are kind of too important to have. Oh, that's a, a Wrestle in, Kingdom in the match if I ever saw one. That's, that's, that's where we're going, isn't it? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Non- Non-COVID, we would love the idea of this, but you've got a limited roster mm-hmm. and you haven't got any of your gaijins in there. So you kind of have to make sure that you're kind of dealing with that hand. But yeah, like you guys just said, it makes sense to build towards that at the Dome. I don't know, maybe Tanahashi gets a victory over, over him in the G1, mm-hmm. kind of proving maybe that Tanahashi comes back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of what it has to be. Like with... Mm-hmm breakup and it seems like Koda is just really frustrated at Tanahashi uh, for being broken down but then it has to be Tanahashi that gets that first win over Koda and shows him Uh, it's got to be when they that is the mega powers exploding of New Japan it's got to be good (laughs) they have been like a bright spot of like these COVID shows haven't they just as a team they're like playing off each other the the backstage interviews and stuff like I am on it's something they've quietly been building towards and it's only now Mm. we're all kind of realizing oh that's where it's going we're getting we're clearly getting you know probably a match in the G1 and probably a big match at Wrestle Kingdom but it's smart and it makes sense, mm. isn't it? And it fits in. And the whole evolution of their relationship from Ibushi's kind of hero worship to the hero not living up to it, it all plays in with the kind of longer canon that we go into and that every one of these factions have in their own odd way. Mm. And that's part of the overall appeal, isn't it? That even if, like, it's soap opera. And this one is much more of a kind of long-running, slow-burn kind of, soap opera tale which is very simple to understand and you've got two great charismatic personalities in there that's it uh, any other thoughts on those uh, those three matches uh, what you go on grapple for uh, for those three uh, jp and the uh, and the other two uh, oh. our king of pro match and our uh our, 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 our now uh, eventually uh, look at master watto and the uh, the failure oh. well the king of pro wrestling title turned out to be what I think it kind of should be, which is a Toruyano comedy title. Yeah, after all which, that, that's what it is, isn't it? Even Okada doesn't That's care. what it is. But they needed Okada to create it. It's still the bit that's absolute confusion. I think I can remember seeing a tweet from you, Steph, saying the idea of seeing Okada in the second match in a New Japan card. Yeah. Just weird. Mm. It is weird. You can't get over it. You can't just think, why are you slumming it with these lads? Like, And I like a Yano comedy match. It absolutely should be on the card. A comedy title for him? Fine. Absolutely, mm. why not? He'll turn it into a great gimmick. He'll turn it into part of his entrance. It'll be like the DVDs. It'll just be that type of stuff that he does. And I'm happy with that. But again, why was a card or anywhere near it? Unless they're doing like, a card is not going for the IWGP title. He's feeling down again. He's kind of lost the plot for a bit, 
which is a storyline they like going back to. I think it was I just his it... baby, wasn't it? That's all it was. He just he, he loved this thing for whatever reason. I think yeah. it's a bit of that, and I think it's a bit of um, his real life personality of being goofy, and I think it's also a bit of him himself wanting to alleviate some pressure and not be Okada as we see Okada, not be five star in the Tokyo Dome Okada and wanting to be like, hey guys, chill a bit. I'm gonna gonna do some stuff like this because like a mental break as much as anything. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I I kinda see I always see Okada Sorry. It makes sense. Okada is someone who he's in a way, and this sounds like I'm being really derogatory, but he's like New Japan John Cena, where he's like the guy that he wins a lot. The, the big difference being that he can actually put on really good matches. But then he's also kind of occupies that role as well of being like the main guy that can then go and do some weird mid-card stuff mm. the way Cena has done before. And it's a terrible comparison, but I know what I mean. Well, he's going down John here, aren't you? Because he's clearly on a par with Okada. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, yeah, Okada, I think, just wants to be able to not have to like, carry that burden of being, like, the John Cena of New Japan. I think he wants to say, like, hey, like, let me do some other stuff. Let me explore some of my weird creativity. Like, I can see Okada sitting in the back watching Yano matches, thinking that Yano is having the best time and having a great career and just wanting to get in on that a bit for a while. Yeah, he does love Yano. And it also, having Okada do this is really good because it does um, prevent that John Cena-ness from happening because it gives other people the chance to be in the top so it kind of works out for everyone but i thought it was just a great swerve to have that it actually like everyone's on the internet complaining that okada is involved in this and that okada is gonna like it's gonna ruin okada by having this comedy title but then of course yano wins it because it was always meant to be for yano <laughs> that's the thing though it's just that we invested so much t- we invested so much time in it and so much uh, i mean let's all be honest the match was fucking terrible like it's like oh it's bad those lads think- didn't know what they were doing doing a four-way match like that was like that's why you don't get four-way matches in new japan except for maybe the odd junior tag that we used to get on like the undercards um it, it didn't I, I still think it didn't need to happen i think i like mentally had the best way of going about it because i'm not like i love okada but i'm not someone that worships at the altar of Okada if you know what I mean like I'm not Mm. someone who holds him up as the highest wrestler in my esteem so when this whole thing was going on it's kind of just something that I ignored like okay Okada's doing that and I would read people going off on it on Twitter and I actually just didn't have anything to say about it so it all kind of I felt like it all just passed me by so it never bothered me never like got me worked up the match is pretty shit I was just like, okay, well, that's that's over now, and Yano's got that. It's fine. The world is right. I really think you bring up a, a really big point about the kind of genuine... If you're the ace of a company, the mm-hmm. mental strain and stress that takes, particularly in Japan, where mm-hmm. you are the figurehead and the company's fortunes kind of feel like they rely on you, particularly in a, in a, for companies that rely on live attendance, and that there's a really big chance of burnout mm-hmm. and you have to prevent that in some ways. And he, and he'd been at that point for how long? Three straight years. 
God, no more than that. Like you're talking kind of nearly six years. And he deserves the right to do a bit of silly nonsense, really, doesn't he? He does. And it, it keeping, you know, it's not only his mental burnout, and I need to stop mentioning Cena, but with what we saw, Cena is like, you don't build other stars when you put everything mm. just on one person. So they're also making sure they don't do that as well. And I just, yeah, just give Okada, let Okada have a rest. Let Okada go on a little holiday to Yellowland for a while and we'll be fine. Gap year, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Look, he had his period with his balloons. He's had enough. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, for me, I just didn't want to see it in New Japan. Like, I thought the the King of Pro Wrestling, the, the, the matches we had earlier in the week, I think maybe part of it was, you know, the, the height of the terrible, uh, again, the, the crowd noise uh, situation. They've tried, It just made those shows really surreal anyway. Um, and then hmm. you've got these weird structured matches with this weird, uh, tournament going on uh, although I would say actually at the stadium those kind of concerns with that with like the crowd system went away a little bit I think because it was a bit more in the background that it was a bit more because the, the, the noise kind of dissipated a little bit it wasn't so bad um, but I don't know it's just come at a weird period in New Japan in general I think where there hasn't been a huge amount to get excited about and then they're doing this as well but uh, I know from my point of view I just hope Okada has got it out of his system um, and we can move on to a big G1 uh, I'll take hey, that. If you, take a bit of weird, if you can't take a bit of weirdness, then New Japan's not for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> There's always got to be something that they do that's just a little bit weird, and mm. we still uh, respect it as the most serious wrestling company. <laughs> that's what New Japan is. <laughs> True. It's, it's not like it's 90s all Japan, is it? <laughs> I mean, Baba wouldn't be going anywhere near this. <laughs> One or two lads starting through the crowd, and that's kind of, well, that's the extent of his wackiness. I just find it's like, Yano has never bothered me, like the comedy, and maybe we'll get onto it later, but Hmm. I get proper upset over the fiend, like upset, angry, physically ill, and it's just the difference in that, and I think it's just because uh, Yano's just some annoying guy that comes around and kind of just fucks with everything and to me that's totally realistic of people you meet in real life so I can totally see that if you're making a wrestling company and you want a wide variety of characters representing everything you could encounter in life yeah yeah, you would stick Yano in there I was to say very very quickly about the crowd noise I found it was like when I've watched football on TV where I knew the crowd noise wasn't real but it just filled a void Mm -hmm. where there wasn't any before and I think I was just kind of grateful that it vaguely sounded like a crowd. Mm, yeah, that's it. I did a bit like what Dudu B have done with um, the New Jay chants for uh, for Big E. Definitely felt that there was some Naito chants weren't there in the main event. Uh, sometimes it works, other times it does sound uh, particularly fake. But I uh, didn't mind it in the uh, the outdoor stadium. Uh, but we are burying the lead. I mean, before we move on from New Japan, uh, I've got to ask, uh, what did we think of uh, Master Watto's uh, big loss against uh, Kanemaru? That's... Uh, that's a push that's going nowhere, isn't it? This poor lad. I really feel like they need to, they need to hit reset. I think sooner rather than later, because this gimmick is death. Um, maybe this is the way it's supposed to be, but God, uh, that poor I lad. Think it is. I think he's uh, perennial loser, like um, oh, Rocky Rocky Maivia, and he's going to turn and become the, the Watto or something. Yeah, he's. I think this is his Rocky Maivia phase, and he's actually going to one day come out and basically say fuck you everyone that mocked me in my blue hair and velvet pants and then he becomes the grandmaster and he's like 
the most evil bastard you've ever seen. He's the next Minoru Suzuki. This is what I hope is happening. And in 10 years' time, they start going back in those video packages, showing him as Master Watto and how he's changed and got embarrassed and angry. Sort of like Naito. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Getting annoyed. He's fucking awful. Like, well, it, it, it's just that the gimmick, it's just it's bad. It's bad. He's not awful in and of himself. I remember him as a, a young boy. The problem is he kind of disappeared off the map when he went to Mexico, didn't he? He didn't feel like he kind of went anywhere, whereas with Hiromi, with Kamatachi, you kind of knew stuff was happening. You knew there was a feud with Dragon Lee and that he was coming on somewhere. But it just didn't, like, with him, this is, it's death. It's it reminds me somewhat of a kind of Captain New Japan type stuff. Mm. Like it, it's 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 almost it's too silly and too undercard for it to be serious. And I don't think at the minute they've really got any options to have people like that around. Mm. I mean, for people to eat losses, they've got they've got the young boys there who can do that. But for this, they kind of need to think of a like. Well, obviously, Rapongi Three K of like giving up the junior belts. So they're going to need some junior teams and they're going to need some more juniors in and around this. They're going to need some degree of credibility. So it just makes you wonder. That's all. That's it. But yeah, any, any uh, closing thoughts on New Japan? Again, I thought, although I've done down a bit of this card, I think overall it was, it was, it was an enjoyable card. Easy enough watch. The most positive I've felt coming out of a New Japan show since. Maybe part of that is the fact that this King of Pro Wrestling stuff is over. But that's just me. Uh, but yeah, overall... And it wasn't as bad as what we thought it'd be, was it? Yeah, and the evil title runs over as well. So maybe that's the other thing that's put me in a good mood. But I don't know. I feel a little bit more positive going into the G1 now. I felt like I needed this show from from New Japan. Even if, again, there wasn't anything breaking four stars, it made me feel like, you know, maybe maybe we will still get some bangers in a G1. And, you know, it's only, it's only a couple of weeks away it's something to look forward to obviously they might just be saving themselves for the g1 as well mm. it's yeah. like let's keep like you know just keep your powders dry for the time being and then like let loose in september i guess we'll see um but yeah uh, moving on from new japan uh, as you, like we said before another surprising I mean, I mean, it probably shouldn't be surprising, JP. It turns out that, yeah, you know, WWE had another good pay-per-view. You know, two two weeks in a row. There's nothing nothing surreal about that. Um, yeah, speaking of short shows, uh, Payback was last night. And again, we're, we're in that dangerous predicament where we're going to talk about the show and uh, Raw is literally going to be airing as we talk. But as we all know, nothing happens on Raw anyway, so nothing's going to uh, ruin this review. But generally, like, I... There are things to be negative about, um, specifically uh, some of the story stuff uh, they decided to in- mm. insert into Matt Riddle's character um, and the main event. You know, I, I, it served the purpose, but you know, it was uh, it was rough watching at certain points. But overall, I actually thought this was a good show from WWE, and if anything, a logically booked one with you know good decisions up and down the card from the way they use Keith Lee to the way they use Shayna Baszler. They seem to be, you know, and even, you know, elements of what they did with Roman, although there's, you know, there's still some room for, for a complaint there, but all in all, I felt like the, the this is one of the strongest book WWE shows in a long while, and I thought the uh, the in-ring was uh, was pretty good as well. Uh, I know you were up uh, late last night uh, watching this as uh, as I was, Steph. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was a really good show. Uh, actually, it was... <laughs> 
I mean, you shouldn't be surprised when they make good decisions, but I, well, yeah. I was so surprised. I was so surprised about Keith Lee because that was a pretty dominant win. It wasn't just a win. It was mm. a dominant win. Um, I thought the finish of Shana, the Shana Bairstow match was one of the coolest finishes. Oh, it was so great. And I just, I just wondered what what's happened that they booked something so well. Mm. Like what? Was Who had the book? Where was Vince? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm just waiting for the Observer to come out and there to be like a little tidbit in there. That, yeah, Paul Heyman got some uh, got some power back in the booker room now. To be honest, based, <laughs> on, based on the Paul Heyman roars uh, this last year, I don't know if uh, I think Bruce Pritchard like every now and then, it's one of them. JP, a broken clock can be right uh, twice a day. Mm. Uh, I don't know. It's just uh, yeah, twice like, in a week. In this <laughs> twice in a year, maybe we'll give him that. <laughs> but it's it, honestly like I, I couldn't have asked for for more from you know like, like Steph said there, Keith Lee smashing through Randy Orton. They even improved his gear. His music's still shite, and he still needs to grow his beard back. And I still probably would. I saw a great. We were talking about it last night where we still saw like a great tweet where I can't remember who it was who said like it's a bit like when you know you you're out the big lads around the pool and he, he's wearing a, like a top when he gets in the pool. Like you're not fooling anyone, mate. You, you look better with your top off. Just just let Keith Lee be Keith Lee. Let him. He's a big lad. Let him be a big lad. There's nothing wrong with being a big lad in wrestling. Like I know WWE is the aesthetics company, but come on. But I don't know that 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 aside. I did think yeah, his presentation was great. Um, they got. Got that right, and yeah, they got a, a few little things up and down the card right as far as booking goes. That I thought. Lee's uh, entrance gear, sorry, Lee's entrance gear last night was obviously different from the one that he had on Raw. Oh yeah, his grass it was, skirt wasn't great. Yeah, but because he has the grass skirt and the jacket and everything, it makes me think that the look is more his idea than people want to admit. Mm. Because it felt like. Whatever he was wearing on Raw was maybe something that he had to quickly just get put into, whereas this was his his uh, sketches had come back from the costume department, and this is how he wants to be presented, which I don't know. <laughs> the, the grass skirt threw me off, that's for sure. Yeah. I feared the worst when I saw that. Mm. I really did. I went, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. They've gone worse than the bizarre cheerleader outfit from the week before and that was but, but even if it was his idea i'm glad someone had the word yeah so i need to go no mm. absolutely awful i i think with this show it's it's a funny one whereby i think it's kind of it's very good for them in this current climate but it's also at a point where they've kind of been creatively near their sort of nadir like that really dark spot around the kind of early to mid nineties kind of felt where they were absolutely clueless. And for a couple of weeks, they've put together some common sense stuff. It feels like there's a bit of a reboot that's kind of gone on as well, Mm. which is sorely needed. And they've created some stories and some factions and getting Roman Reigns back at the top of the card. Like and from an in-ring perspective, is sorely needed because that had just sunk to kind of real WCW levels. Mm. Is where that main event scene had gone with the feed. <laughs> and I'm going to say, let's let save the rant for Steph on that one. But like, I was glad to see him there. The storyline around it, like you said, I, just doesn't really make sense. And why do you need to do it? 
and there's a much better version of a heel Roman Reigns character. And I fear that they're doing this out of some bizarre spite of him not working through the COVID period mm. that Vince kind of has going on in his head. And it just doesn't surprise you because it's like the Heyman stuff feels completely needless, for mm. example. Like, I'd prefer him to come back pissed off saying, I never lost the title and I want it back and you two fuckwits are here. So I'm just going to knock seven shades of shit out of you. I'm like completely down with that. I would say like, so for a lot of the cards, it for me is around two and a half star to kind of three star range, but kind of very watchable and two and a half hours and nothing really was too long and overstayed its welcome. Even when I felt that at points during the Randy Orton match, but I just think that's a medical thing that I've got whenever he appears on my screen. <laughs> Narcolepsy kicks in. So yeah, I, I would say a positive show, but in no way do I still have faith in them because oh, yeah. we've been down, we've been down this road many, many, many times and consistency is not their friend. Oh yeah. They'll have undone it by the time Raw race tonight. Like I say, this is a this is a poison review. Even attempted to do this, but uh, I mean, yeah. While well, there is plenty of positive on the card, we probably should talk that. I mean, that is the big story. It is the Roman stuff, and I, I think to you, JP, like I really, I think with Roman, there is a really good story to tell there. As far as like you know, his turn, like uh, it's the thing that we've all. Not all, but I think most most people have looked at and gone, it's the obvious thing that WWE should do is turn Roman heel and then he'll come back and he'll be the biggest babyface in the world. He just needs that little, like we said, Rocky Maivere earlier, he needs that little period as a heel to, to be the big babyface. Instead, he just stayed the course of five years and now, with no fans in the building, now they decided to turn him and, you know, the year when he came back from cancer and the year that like he had to take... You know, how many months off has it been now? Four or five months off because of, you know, uh, family issues and because of his own health. Now, like you said, JP's the heel and probably because you had in Vince McMahon's mind, he's, uh, you know, he's he's quit on the fans. He's uh, he's the bad guy. He, he's, he's, he's not many, many steps away from, like, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, you know, for SmackDown later this week, but, but I, I do think we're probably going to get that you people don't deserve an explanation kind of promo. Whereas I actually think... There's a lot. There's a lot of depth you could have here with the, with this heel storyline. There's a lot of story that could be told with you know his bitterness about how the fans have treated them over the years, and it's you know not doing it in a you people way though, doing it in a in a creative, interesting way. And while I think he's going to be good in the role, and I think maybe I'm higher on the Heyman thing maybe more than you, JP. I kind of get it as a. It's a bit like when they put Heyman with CM Punk, it kind of solidifies. Okay. This guy's a heel now, um, and Heyman will be able to do a job um, as far as you know being the the secondary guy to Roman. Um, but I do, you know, yeah. As much as I kind of find it refreshing, and I'm glad he's back, it is a bit frustrating that yeah, it's it's happening during this period, and it's happening at a time where yeah, they unfortunately can manipulate the crowd reaction, and we're not getting that real reaction to this turn that maybe we've all been expecting um over the last few years uh what was your reaction to it steph when he when he came back and to be honest i for me i even thought when i I heard about the smackdown clips when he did the sit down with Heyman, i was like oh maybe this is a tease maybe he's not going full heel maybe there's still part of that maybe maybe this is just you know at the end of the day it's going to turn out that roman is the good guy after all but yeah, I, I was shocked they even you know went that far and now based on this pay-per-view it does seem like they are fully leaning into it 
I felt like Roman's never been someone that I was a fan of as a wrestler. But when he came back at SummerSlam, there's no no more babyface thing someone could have done than just destroyed Von Strowman and the Fiend. Uh, Same with Payback the, as well, yeah. Two of the worst wrestlers that have ever been inflicted upon us. <laughs> I, like I've said before, I hate the Fiend so much. And my absolute dream is for... On SmackDown, what I want to happen is Roman to just them do like a backstage shot, like him walking in through the backstage area. He sees the fiend. The fiend comes up to him with all his smoke show shit going on. And I want Roman to literally just shove him and just be like, fuck off, mate. And him just fall down like a tunnel to his death. And that be it. And <laughs> and that's just end of the fiend. I just I can't I can't express how much this man annoys me. I was I was watching SmackDown Live and you know they had Adam Pierce on it. Mm. I have quite a liking for Adam Pierce. Oh me too. Oh uh, legends. I love the name checking him as well. That he's not just faceless backstage goon, they're very clear to make you know this man is called Adam Pierce. It's been a bit odd. So that show started and they did this Adam Pierce Vince thing. And I was like, okay, this is a good SmackDown because I might get three or two hours of watching Adam Pierce here and I'm, that will make me very happy. And then he turns up with The Fiend in a postman outfit. Mm. And that was the moment. And I saw people on Twitter being like, that's hilarious. That's what I was just like, this is utter shite. And that I turned it off. I <laughs> turned it off at this site of Adam Pierce having to dress up as a postman to go talk to this idiot. It was so bad. If they'd just done him, if the fiend wasn't doing all this crap and he had just had to go talk to him normally, it would have been fine. But dressing him up like some kind of stupid children's character like that, which is awful. Um, anyway, there were some good package jokes to be made about it, but that was the only, uh, <laughs> the only seen Adam Pierce dressed as a postman. <laughs> I'm on a complete tangent. I hate the fiend. He's he's just ruins everything. Um, I hope Roman is just some is literally just back because he was sitting at home and he was watching the fiend do matches and he thought I can't take this shit. I'm coming back to destroy this guy and just, just like take him out. The Alexa Bliss stuff is, is stupid. Yeah, absolutely stupid. Having her watching the TV with um two dreadlocks pinned into her hair, looking like she's now in love with the fiend. What is this? Yeah, that was odd. <laughs> the, spirit of, the spirit of Joe compels you, Steph. <laughs> really did there. That was, that was, I was like, he's here. Um, I mean, I, one thing, one thing that Joe once, I think it was definitely Joe that once said this, uh, people that think the fiend stuff is really deep have never watched any kind of good art or entertainment because it's got to the point to me where if someone um outs themselves as thinking the fiend is good it's like the equivalent of finding out your friends like thinks that um, well i was gonna say like thinks you know i'll say pre-election that trump running is a pretty cool funny idea and he's just shaking things up yeah <laughs> and like what yeah left with <laughs> you know it's just it, it ain't for me it, it it's not for me and i've i've survived uh, a very long time of watching wrestling and a lot of shit and this is the first thing that's been that much not for me <laughs> yeah 
don't think we're going to yeah. argue hard with you on that one, are we, JP? It's like, yeah. No. I mean, that was that was the roughest part of this show for me. Like, uh, I, again, I enjoyed yeah. it top to bottom, and I get what they were doing with the the, the the silly Roman thing where he hasn't signed his contract yet, and then he signs it during the middle of the match. Like, I kind of get it as a means to an end, and you know, he comes in and he gets the he gets the cheap win at the end. But what it meant was we had to watch the fucking fiend and Braun Strowman go back and forth for what felt like thirty five minutes. I'm sure it was only um, about ten. Um, the fiend um, booking is so inconsistent as well because the guy's either in like indestructible or a normal guy. Yeah, it's he had all these matches where he's early Undertaker level of indestructible and then he was out there in that match with Braun like like just any normal bloke in a stupid mask being beaten up um it's completely inconsistent yeah. but and that's I, that's I, where most of my hate goes because I, I am a Braun fan like I think they fucked him up like over the last few years but I do like him but yeah like we were saying last week JP when was the last time you saw a good Bray Wyatt match and I think we had to go back about five years anyway sadly I think this is the high point of this mm. feud and I gave this 1.75. I went one. <laughs> and, that's, and that's primarily for some of the Roman stuff at the end, because I sort of thought, oh, thank God. Yeah. I'm quite glad you've turned up here. And at least I know Which that this is going to be... kind of baby-faced him a bit, though. That was the only issue there. It is. And I actually think there's a really good story with him coming out saying, I'm gl- I've come back because there's no fans here, because mm-hmm. I'm sick of you lot. And I think it's the simplest story in the world. And just got him like, just be really happy and then build him up to when fans are actually back. And then they hopefully boo him out of the building if he did that. But mm. hey, um, there's a million and one ways to kind of skin that cat. And they're going to choose the fucking roughest way to do it. Um, but this, yeah, there's, I mean, I can't disagree with anything that Steph said about the fiend there. Mm. It is. Yeah, we're not the podcast so, to disagree on that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's. And it is the thing that kind of dragged everything down on this show because it's the thing you're least looking forward to. And everything else up to that point had been, obviously, with some other exceptions we're going to make, pretty much like so easy and watchable, if Mm. nothing else. If not like reinventing the wheel or spectacular. I think they've done actually really good storylines recently, and this is definitely a revelation I had on Friday night, once I saw Adam Pearce in that postman outfit, was if The Fiend didn't exist, I would be extremely high on WWE right now because I have very little complaints on what they've done. I, I love all the Bailey and Sasha stuff. Um, I actually, I've really enjoyed Orton recently. I've enjoyed so much of it. Um, and it's literally just him bringing it down. Though I would say on that match, I'd go probably like a 2.5 or a 3 just oh, wow. because it was just a lot of kind of mindless violence at the start and I was waiting for the moment for Roman to come out and it wasn't a technically great match but I'd definitely actually go higher on it than, than both of you despite my, <laughs> despite my feelings on the field. They They need to retire that superplex spot. Oh my it God, kind of, yeah. Remember the first time? Remember how what? great that was? Like, out fucking... Like yeah. Brock, and, Brock and Big Show. Though. That's it, on a, sm- on a rando yeah. smackdown. Charles Robinson took a great bump though. He that did. was spectacular. Jesus, that was quite frightening, actually. But I thought that was, yeah, that was really good, his bump over it. Yeah. But I, I had actually thought that a lot of that mat, of the main event felt like the match I'd watched the week before. Yeah. Give or take. Mm. That it was the same kind of stuff. And they say no holds barred. And I'm just like, does any of that stuff ever actually really apply? Also, um, rang the bell in that match before Roman came in. 
which also pissed me off. Oh, and the commentary didn't like, even talk about it for about 10 minutes, did they? Like, they just left it like this fucking elephant in the room. Oh, yeah, Roman's not here. Like, eventually they did address it, but yeah, I feel like there's a guy missing here. Probably bring it up. I don't ring the bell when a guy's still got his ring coat on being, and he's been attacked and your third competitor isn't there yet. <laughs> you know? uh, Let's just make up the rules as you go along. <laughs> Well, it is WWE that's, after all. That's that's the story of them, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> to me, I, I think one of the reasons I, I went one on it, it just didn't feel like a match. It just felt like a big angle to, to set up Roman winning at the end. And I think it was effective if maybe, again, it did kind of make Roman come off as more of a babyface than anything. And yeah, I, I wouldn't be the first to say it, but I would bet if there was a crowd in there, they'd all be cheering Roman anyway uh, at this point. So, you know, maybe actually there's a, there's positives to uh, to doing the turn here. But I did think, yeah, that was kind of the low point of the show. I mean, the high point of the show for me came right before it. The, uh, these Mysterio boys, massive fan, me. I love the Mysterio. Like this, I went three and a half, which isn't that high, uh, extremely high rating. But considering this is Dominic Mysterio as well, third match. Uh, I love this. Him and Ray against uh, Seth and, uh, and Murphy. Like, uh, it was quite surreal, kind of, you know, watching the, the dynamic between the two, like trying to work out, okay, who's going to who's gonna be babyface in peril? Is it going to be Ray or is it going to be Dominic? Um, like, and how, how are they going to kind of work as a team? And to be honest, that dynamic really worked for me. I thought it was great. It was similar to the singles match last week, except maybe this time, you know, Dominic maybe didn't have quite as much to do, therefore the things he did do all came across a lot better. Mm-hmm. I thought his execution was better here than it was in the Seth match last week. But it felt like another one where like Ray was playing coach um and you know playing dad on the sidelines, just giving him the odd tip and keeping it keeping his head where it needed to be. And you had again, and it's two weeks in a row here where I'm gonna say nice things about Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins was quarterback in the match again and was was great at it and Murphy's very good as well. Um uh, yeah, you know, went three and a half on grapple. Could have easily gone three point seven five again. Uh I really enjoyed this. This for me was the uh, the match of the night. Yeah, I'll go with you on that. I went three and a half as well. I enjoy and like you, I was kind of watching how they were putting the match together. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing that was really impressive. It was just a very quite simple, well laid out match that they did the best. And it's credit to Dominic himself for just not I can't remember stuff he got wrong. Like he seemed to be in place. He seems to have a he seems to have a natural aptitude for it. Mm. He really does. And I know this is very, very, very early doors. And him being in there with his dad really makes sense. Like, I would be keeping them together for as long as humanly possible because Mm. that's kind of the best thing for him. And I like the way they work the finish with the boot to the head to Rollins that takes him out by accident from Murphy. And then, you know, I thought all of that stuff kind of, really work even though you would say the idea of dominant mysterio getting the pin but do you know he's got a tidy frog splash yeah like honestly like he's the stuff he does is good for someone of his experience who really doesn't have any business being there yeah three and and, and again seth rollins considering how bad i thought of the eye for an eye match and how shocking that was the idea that they have turned me around to a relatively minimal degree to actually think this is probably the most fun thing you've got going on at the minute. I didn't see that coming. 
I'm, I'm, that's 2020 for you, isn't it? A more positive good booking as well, and that the babyfaces actually went over, and the heroes won. Like you know, I, I again, like you said earlier, Steph, it's the minimum standard. Really, I probably shouldn't be shocked, but yeah. I, again, it was another one where I was shocked. I was like, yeah, that was a it was a nice little feel good moment, a nice result, and yeah, the the good guys stood tall, and uh, and Seth and Murphy sloped off. Uh, yeah, all in all, it was just a, a feel good segment for me. I don't know where where you landed on it, Steph. Three and a half, like us. Yeah, I thought it was awesome. Don't you think that Dominic is kind of an indictment of the whole NXT developmental system? Because oh, here's yeah. a guy, he's what, 22, 23? Mm. He's going to end up being the youngest guy by far in this roster, considering how long they keep people in mm. in NXT. And fair enough, his dad's a wrestler, and I'm sure he's had so much training, but he's he's so good. And just him getting to skip that system, it's such a reason to make other people skip that system and not stay there so long that's what I keep thinking when I see him like thank like Ray must have put his foot down and said my son's not my son's not wasting five years of his life in NXT <laughs> good on him there's, there's like, wrestlers yeah. in NXT that could be Dominic's dad I'm just thinking of like uh, what's P- Punishment Martinez's name he's 40 now and he could easily be Dominic's dad yeah but I just think back to, like, um, especially in the 90s, like, Attitude Era, I think back to, like, The Rock when he was young and how you're never going to get that again if there is NXT. You're never going to get that young guy mm. doing it so young. You're never going to get Randy Orton again, like, being the youngest champion and everything he did when he was young. This is all never going to happen again because of the NXT system, and Dominic's kind of proof that maybe that's not not the best mm. way to do things like maybe it's not maybe you need to stick a young guy on the roster and see what he can do and have some some youth in there so everyone's not like mid-30s but it's not a meritocracy and that's the problem isn't it they vote like it's it's like you've got to have tenure in any nxt before you can graduate for the most part rather than choosing someone and going this person's got it we need to just move them up to the main roster and like, like someone like Shayna Baszler, for example, shouldn't have been in NXT well, for as long as she was. It yeah, have just she's been forty now, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. Mm. And it and it feels like you could really have had her in that kind of role a couple of years before. Yeah. You really could have had had that, and you would have had real momentum. You would have had her hopefully in that top mix as well as someone completely different to a lot of the other women's roster and brings like so much credibility as well. But yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think it's there. The system itself is in theory, very solid and makes so much sense given how much money they're worth, but they still don't know how to do it. Do they? They don't and do it properly. No. no, they don't do it properly. And the idea of excursions and things like that and sending people out to workplaces and get better at their craft, trying different things and, experimenting on the road they're never going to do that because it has to be within that system and it, it's the house style in and of itself is kind of broken if i was a young wrestler and i was making a decision of where to go like booking stuff and everything aside like if you were say a jungle boy the nxt is what would make me sign with aw like not wanting to be put in that that's why i always think you know when the time comes for Jay White to leave WWE, or leave um, New Japan, sorry, when people mention that to me, my first thought is like, 
of not having him being stuck in NXT for like two, three years, something, what a waste that will be to, you know, make him like over 30 getting to the main roster. It's just, they just need to sort out that system the way they, they stick guys down there for so long. Like Adam Cole's at the point where if he moves up, it almost feels like the time has passed because he he's been in there so long. But I just do think when I look at Dominic, he's he's just an example of, of why sometimes you just got to let a younger person on that roster yeah. and see what they can do because he's done so And it's different as well. He's not really working the house style. He, he comes across, If anything, he comes across more lucha, doesn't he? Obviously being raised yeah. uh, some, but, you know, that is, that, that is a positive and that's why, you know, we're... We were raving about him, and we were raving about the the punter in there with uh, with Adam Cole last week as well. It's the it's it's like we said, JP. It's similar to Shane McMahon, isn't it? It's just we all know Shane McMahon's not actually a good wrestler, but when he gets in there, it's something different. You actually don't really know what's gonna come next. He's not doing the same cookie cutter match as everybody else, um, and I do think that's what uh, what Dominic offers too. Um, I was just going to say, I mean, as far as the, the rest of the car goes, I mean, any strong thoughts? Uh, I did want to say quickly, like, again, we talked about Keith Lee quite a bit, but I did think Randy, I, I have a go at Randy Orton a lot, but I thought he was great uh, in there with Keith Lee. You know, you'll always, you know, he's your work is work and he does these little things so well and blah, blah, blah. But this was a match where he needed to go in there and in the, what, seven odd minutes they had, he needed to do a job where, you know, he, he had his moments where he got some offense in and, you know, he... It wasn't a squash, but every time Keith Lee hit a big move, he was well up for it. He was selling them big. He was making sure, you know, Keith Lee got over and he did the job clean. Like, yeah, I mean, that's, to be honest, that's that's the role I want Randy Orton in at this point uh, as, as, as some kind of gatekeeper. Um, but I thought he was he was great in that match. I went 3.25 on it again for a seven minute match. Maybe that's a, a bit strong, but... Really enjoyed that, um, and I thought that was yeah, another uh, a highlight of, of the undercard. Uh, I don't know if you got thoughts on that, JP, or the uh, the other matches there. I went three stars on that because I thought it did the job that it needed to do ultimately, and it wasn't spectacular or anything else. But it was about getting Keith Lee over, mm. and that was the job. And I was glad he changed his outfit, although he doesn't just yeah, like you say, doesn't need to be wearing the top. I think the appeal of him is seeing a guy who looks how he does doing the things that he does. Hmm. That's part of the kind of the whole thing. And if you try and take that away, like it doesn't mean because there's lots of big muscly guys who can do flips and everything else. There's coming more spectacular to Keith Lee doing it. And he's got charisma when he talks, Hmm. he feels like he kind of should be in there, even though that, thing with jbl was just very weird oh so strange what's going on like what's that about oh he's poor is was that was that the lesson nxt guys don't get paid was that the lesson we were supposed to take i mean if they're going down keith lee socialist comrades then yeah (laughs) let's go for it i'll take it if that's what he's fighting for at the end of it i didn't see it coming but maybe (laughs) he's the hero we need in these times um but i thought yeah i thought that was fine i kind of enjoyed the Apollo Crews um, Bobby Lashley match mm-hmm. at the start as well. I quite like the Hurt business. Yeah, what I've too. seen of it, M- MVP is a very good talker. Yeah. like, And he shouldn't be in the ring, really. But as a talker for them, I think he's absolutely fine. Um, he's taken I the opportunity, in, hasn't he? Like The opportunity he that he really probably has. thought he was never going to get again in his career. And say what you yeah. want about, because it is, it's a stable of dudes who were at the best 10 years ago. But mm. 
he's gotten it over and he's ran with it and you can't really begrudge like the the you know it's not big success but it is a it is a success on the undercard of these shows you know the minimal amount of uh, WWE I'm watching I, I I agree I mean I think just every time he talks he's incredibly engaging I'm not saying he, he kind of reminds me of Taz how he talks I don't mm. know what it is there's a certain cadence to how he delivers it mm. and it works for me mm. and I think there's good stuff you could really do with that, certainly as a like, kind of mid-card act. Although I did find the Apollo Crews behaviour at the end a bit weird. Yeah, is he the face? Where he's kind of... Yeah, <laughs> he kind of really wasn't acting like it. But I thought that was fine. And it kind of... It's like what you and Steph said earlier on. There's some good, very simple, logical storytelling going on and booking. And you, you know... The idea Steph of said that Lashley. I didn't. Be careful. Okay. <laughs> but like, I'm, I'm, is... I'm not taking credit for that when it all goes to shit next no. week. <laughs> Good decisions, booking, I will say. But if you're booking a stable like that, this is a solid step in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's all. That's what I thought of it. I thought the idea of putting the tag belts on Shayna and Nia Jax, I thought that's fine. And I kind of thought this is where Nia Jax should be, mm. frankly, given given how what she's like as a worker, putting her in a tag team, I'm kind of fine with that for what it is. It may come across silly, but I think Shayna's got a lot more underrated personality and comedic timing, particularly if you see her doing stuff that's like the watch-along stuff. She's great. Like, she is proper. In- like, you kind of think, let her be like this. There, there is a great story to tell with her, mm. and you could build up to something really great. And... You can imagine Ronda Rousey wanting to come out of retirement if for no other reason than to make sure Shayna Baszler gets a really big push. I could like these kind of things. I'm not being, I mean, obviously there's a there's a Becky Rousey match before you would do, but that's definitely something she would consider doing. So I was glad, particularly with the finish that you both mentioned, because it was so great mm. and it got her over so strong, and you were just glad to see it. And Sasha and Bailey don't lose anything from it. No. It sets up Bailey to go along with, and again, Bailey and Sasha is like kind of one of the highlights. And just built up a contender for Bailey. You've still got Asuka and Sasha Banks that you can go to as well. There's, there's, there is at least direction and some options that don't involve obviously Becky Lynch or Charlotte Flair. Yeah, the thing with Shayna is, I mean, you clo- you followed her to be closer than we do, Steph. Like. She was on the outs, wasn't she, when Heyman left? Like, she was barely getting on Raws, and here we are again. I mean, I'm glad they're doing it. It's the right decision. Put her over strong. But, yeah, this one really, really caught me by surprise. Yeah, me too. I I have so much love for Shanna. If I was booking, Shanna would be my number one woman because she's so legit. And it's weird because I took my favourite women's wrestler, teamed her with my least favourite women's wrestler, but it worked <laughs> like... If that team is Shayna being just this great technical badass and then the way it looked at the end with the celebration is Nia just seems totally delusional, like thinking that she actually did anything to win this belt. And if it's like that kind of storyline of them, of them having to put up with each other until Shayna eventually like turns it into stories there, like that's that's cool. But Shayna has so much she has so much to offer. She has got great comedic timing. I think she's she's a pretty good promo. Mm. Just, like she's such a badass everything about her and like the way she looks the way she carries herself um she's just so the type of woman that they never really book because mm. you know she's just a woman that um 
doesn't care about anything but being a badass that can could kill anyone, and I love it. Which, so- is, which stands out so much from everybody else. It really does. And it's, yeah, like, and that's kind of the appeal and they never get that. They never understand that. I always kind of felt that way about Paige at times. I never kind of understood that the appeal of Paige was the fact that she was entirely different from everybody else. Yeah. And she did. And, and that was something that obviously they kind of went with, but at, at times felt kind of stop start. And here it's the same situation again, yeah. where, there is someone there, but also because of the UFC background, if you're looking to get the kind of mainstream credibility and press, she's great for that. Mm. And like, there's, it's someone that is so much worthwhile going with because there's, again, there's just a really good story of kind of going from her MMA career, but all, just the way she delivers. You talk about her promos. It's the idea of she's able to deliver scripted content in as realistic a way as anyone's able to do, given the general quality of the writing. She does as good a job with that shit as, as anyone else can do. Yeah. I feel like with MMA, UFC stuff, they, they never want it unless it's Brock or Ronda. They, they don't care because if you took Shayna and Sonia Deville could have had one hell of a feud with both having MMA backgrounds both being really good promos, which is something they only realized about Sonia when they put her on this storyline that was for Mandy Rose that she just kind of took over because she was that good. And they they just like, unless it's like Rhonda, they don't seem to like care about having women that are that legit. And maybe Shayna can can change it. Um, and then get Jessamine up there and get Marina up there and like, that's the only thing that confused me about the Nia Jax uh, whole stable because why she would ever have to team with Nia Jax when she's got those two best friends mm. is beyond me. <laughs> like, it didn't make sense, but yeah, it's a bit of But again, I think it worked. Like it's the I don't know. I'm still not going to go as far as to say I enjoyed Nia Jax or her, or her work. But as a Road Warriors type tag team, I could see it, you know, having having legs at least for a short period. Um, but yeah, I think I'd take yeah one of the MMA girls instead in that place. But again, another positive that I think it was good that they put it over strong and similar in the in the undercard, Big E beating Sheamus. Uh, that's another one where the pessimist in me, if I was putting a bet on, you, it's like whenever when I do my WrestleMania bets once a year, I've kind of stopped the last couple of years. But you're you've always got to consider. Doesn't matter what makes logical sense here. What would Vince McMahon do? And Sheamus has always been one of his favourites, so it wouldn't have shocked me to see, uh, you know, Big E maybe not go over quite as strong as he did. But that was another one where yeah, Big E is clearly someone on the rise. Sheamus is clearly someone who's had his day, and they put the right man over in a a solid big beefy big lads match. I gave that a, a three point two five as well. Um, you know, g- good enough, and uh, he had a good a good sign. I think uh, going forward for Big E, I think there's there's clearly clearly more you can do with Big E than they've. Uh, they've done so far in his uh, WWE career. Honestly, they should be thinking mania for him. Wow. That's, that's what, well, when you think of the other options that they've got Mm. and the time it would take to build someone up, Mm. I think they should go with this Mm. because, and this is, I know the talking smack stuff and anything else, like, like that stuff again, particularly within the kind of cultural zeitgeist that we're in at the moment is incredibly important. And it's kind of the stuff that really hits a raw nerve. 
about this. And I, I, mean, I remember hearing Dave Meltzer talk about it. Is it Andreas Hale who, who, who wrote about this as, as well? And I highly recommend um, um, what he what he said about it. But I think for this, this is the kind of thing where there is genuine crowd engagement for Big E. He delivers a promo. Is he the greatest in the ring? No. But my God, we've been talking about The Fiend and fucking Braun Strowman and there is other assorted shite they've put in there and there is no real good reason that he shouldn't be in there ahead of them because at least he's engaging and charismatic. I think my kids, Hmm. when they were little, when I would tell you about this, like, you know, God, five years ago, uh, six years ago for them, New Day was the thing. New Day was the thing that got appealing to them because it was kind of so silly and wacky and they were fun and engaging and, and colourful characters and, and kind of easy to understand, but at the same time they were being themselves. They were just being like kind of ultra geeks in whatever way and it worked out brilliantly for them. And like you say, for this match, like this is this is the good common sense step and this is the way they need to build it. And you can put roadblocks in the way but ultimately to do a story like this justice. And I know it appears to be kind of close to the Kofi one, but the Kofi one, they kind of lucked into really, didn't they? It was like, they didn't really want to do that here. You put some proper forethought into that. You've got a big match. And again, like will it please a lot of kind of hardcore internet fans? Possibly not, but I really can't see the kind of object. I can't see any good logical objections not to, but for no other reason than he's fresh at the top of the scene. Totally. The match, the match was fine as well. I went three stars on that. Like I say, he's not a great worker, is he? I agree with everything JP just said. Like, I, I, like what I was saying with Shane, if I had my own promotion and you presented me with Big E, I, he'd be one of my top guys. I never understand how they booked him. So if this is his chance to make it, yeah, go for it. Um, so yeah, we've we've heaped a, a fair amount of plays on WWE. Now comes the the section of the show where yeah. I think we have to have a reality check. Uh, the other match we haven't talked about: Matt Riddle and King Corbin. Like, yeah, I saw King Corbin make that tweet about Riddle uh, about him letting his family down. I think it was the uh, the word alluding to basically the speaking out allegations that came out about Riddle um, and using them in storyline. If that wasn't bad enough, then we had a backstage interview where it was brought up again and then hammered home from by commentary that uh, the King Corbin had said that, that Riddle had let his family down. And at the crux of that issue, what you're saying is Riddle let his family down because he has a sexual assault allegation against them. That's basically where we, where we are. Um, and we're using it to one, give it heel heat and two, Give Matt Riddle sympathy. Um, you know, we've been pretty vocal on this show uh, about Riddle and the fact that, you know, there's been no real WWE action with Riddle. Uh, and even if you're somebody who, you know, is willing to give the benefit of the doubt or is wanting to block out reality and, and enjoy Matt Riddle in WWE, like, you can't when they're making, you know, as people have said, this stuff canon. Um, I thought it was absolutely gross and just, there's just no need for it, JP. I think it's they've done a lot of repellent things storyline wise mm. this is this is seriously up there mm. this is absolutely disgusting mm. spoken a lot about fan protest and other stuff like that these are your kind of reasons and one of the thoughts I had is if they're doing this now for Riddle 
how seriously they're taking this yeah. ultimately is what you end up thinking. This is worthy of a storyline for them. And we're kind of used to them using wrestlers' real lives, Jeff Hardy being the kind of prime example of someone they love to go back to for that, but in their really quite horrible, demeaning way. Of, uh, But in this case, this is so far beyond the pale. It's absolutely fucking disgusting to do, to work into a storyline. It makes me wonder about what happens with the other allegations and how they've treated those. It makes me wonder about NXT UK. And it makes me wonder what their general attitude to this is, which is we're basically not really going to be doing anything. We're not going to be taking it seriously. And we think we can get some heat out of it. Absolutely fucking gross. Yeah, that's it. That's all you can really uh, say about that. Um, you know, even today, you know, they signed a load of, of evolved talent and Josh Briggs is one of the names in there and he's someone where there was uh, quite serious screenshots and allegations about him speaking with minors. Allegations, but, you know, they're signing him regardless. Um, and also, you know, there was that Triple H interview in the week where he talked about NXT UK being, what, the safe place, uh, apparently. You know, they came in to, to save the British Indies. Uh not with this record, um, yeah. This is again. You, you can you can sla- you can talk morals in wrestling, but you know it is very mm. clear with with WWE there is a, it, it's never going to be a big factor in their decision making. I think uh, with the riddle thing, um, it's gross. It is also stupid to draw attention to that for anyone that didn't know, like yeah. for anyone that did not know, and wants to do some investigation on that comment what you're going to find is really bad. And I honestly think it's probably a bunch of men deciding that Riddle had an affair while we can use that as part of his character and totally forgetting the fact that the only reason we know he had an affair is because of the allegations that were made against him. Yeah. So it's just to- it's totally gross. It's not, it's not something that they have, um, of course, throughout history used people's real life stuff and, They've used a lot of guys' real-life problems, whether it be with substances or infidelity or whatever, but just the way his infidelity comes out, came out, means it's not something that should ever be touched for a storyline. It's just it's like making a mockery of everything. Really? Yeah. Um, one other note I was going to make, just been a bit of, not massive breaking news, but breaking news while I've been recording on the, on the WWE front that I thought I'd mention. Uh, apparently Mara Ronaldo is on his way. Uh, Dave Meltzer posted a tweet uh, just now saying that uh, oh. there's going to be details forthcoming, but he's parted ways with WWE. Um, yeah, to know thoughts on Mauro Ronaldo. <laughs> um, I feel bad say, saying good riddance. I won't say good riddance. I, I've never been a fan I... of Mauro, to be honest. But like, I know people. There are people who are, though, aren't the JP? Who are like big hardcore Mauro fans, and obviously, I there's the post connection. I don't mind him in MMA and boxing. Mm. Like, quite used to him for Showtime boxing. Mm. Um, and I never minded him on that. And those early New Japans, he was kind of him and Barnett. I think it kind of almost depends on what situation you put him in. And I think there's the problem. If you overproduce him, he's going to go big. And that's when the whole thing is there. I'm, mm. I'm not entirely surprised. There could obviously be a, a whole variety of reasons um, for why this is the case. But the fact he hadn't been appearing recently did kind of make me wonder whether or not that was something that they were thinking of doing. 
yeah, it seemed that way, and I think there was the story of um, Stu Bennett getting a. I think he's he's looking at getting a long term contract as a Wade Barrett as a as a commentator. Uh, obviously, Nigel's still missing after going on fail. I hope I hope uh, bringing in another British voice doesn't mean he's not uh, he's not getting his job back because that was quite a you know a nice thing really. Nigel at the end of his career getting a getting a WWE job even if it was as a commentator. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Were you, were you a fan of Moro and his style stuff? I, I'll be honest, like JP, I really liked him on the New Japan shows and early NXT. I was a fan, but it did really feel the last couple of years. It's more about he was getting his lines in, he was getting himself over more than the product. I think it's probably fair to say. Um, and yeah, it, it was just a style that never worked for me. Yeah, I think he became a caricature of what was good mm. about him, um, and that was the problem. But I also think just he didn't he didn't seem to fit into that company no takes a certain kind of person to work for wwe especially commentary and he just didn't seem to fit in at all and mm. um i hope he's happier now yeah. but i also really hope he doesn't turn up in AEW, <laughs> especially if he's doing the same stick of um getting himself over shouting mama mia random rap references oh god but, yeah it's, yeah, he he just be, he became a bit of a, a meme parody um, of himself. Someone that was actually because I remember when I first watched him or listened to him and Josh Barnett call New Japan, I was blown away by how how good they were. Mm. And now looking back, uh, I, commentary must have been really bad at the time for me to think that because I love <laughs> Kevin Kelly so much and. I don't like the NXT commentary or anything at all. So he's definitely someone that um, kind of lost a lot of value over time. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's it. And, you know, maybe, you know, if he gets a, if he does want to do wrestling again in future, maybe it will be a, maybe a more sports orientated product and maybe we'll see that Moro. You know, I think all three of us would agree we liked back then. But yeah, um, mm. not going to find three big uh, Moro fans here. I'm uh, I'm just reading the uh, the Observer site. They have literally this second just posted the story on it and they have said that it's uh, unlike in the past. It's not a, a departure on negative terms. Um, and there's been some issues with his, with his mother at home as well. Um, oh. But yeah. Uh, obviously, uh, he's he's put a statement out there saying he appreciated the opportunity to realise his childhood dream, and he wants the directors focus toward the project. So, yeah, I guess we'll uh, we'll see what that is uh, going forward. And yeah, at least it's it sounds at least on the face of it, it's uh, it's an amicable departure, unlike some of the stories we've had with Moro in the past. Um, moving on, then uh, we should talk some AEW. Uh, since since we last recorded, it's been a been another dynamite. <laughs> this time a Thursday. Uh, yeah, it was. I mean, we're on the we're heavy on the road to all out. Uh, this was an unopposed dynamite. Uh, I thought the I thought the rating was a little bit on the disappointed end, uh, eight hundred thirteen thousand. But they are on a different night, even if they were unopposed. I think next week's rating when they're on a they're on a Wednesday this coming Wednesday, aren't they, JP? With uh, with no NXT in sight because they're on a, on Tuesday this week. So that'll be interesting to see a go home show and see what the really what the ceiling is um for an AEW number as uh, as far as tv goes uh but yeah as far as this show goes uh you know not a hugely notable one but i thought again you know the i don't know the uh the theme of the show today is shows that were an easy watch this was another one i thought uh flew by as far as a two-hour show maybe too much because the uh, the main event didn't really have uh, much time and uh yeah poor matt hardy and uh, sammy guevara kind of got fucked by i think the dark order angle going long and the, the tag gauntlet going a little bit long as well but overall I thought it was a fine show i think the biggest takeaway maybe is, is that tag gauntlet stuff uh 
the uh, the, I think it's quite interesting the story they're doing with uh, with Hangman Page costing the the young bucks their their place in the tag gauntlet and obviously meaning that uh, FTR won that thing and now we're getting FTR against uh, Page and Kenny rather than uh, the books being in there. Uh, genuinely a story where I'm not 100% certain which way they're going. Uh, I think there's this obvious horseman tease and you know, there's the obvious connections between Hangman and, and FTR, but you know, I like a little story like this where it could still go either way. You know, we could go uh, the route of my TW game, JP, and we'll get a big Kenny turn that no one saw coming. Uh, maybe Big Tone was uh, was tuning into Twitch, <laughs> but yeah, some uh, interesting story development there from Nara. And uh, yeah, I don't know if you've uh, got any other uh, big notes uh, from the show. Uh, maybe you first, JP. Um. Well, I did a very big deep dive on AEW this week. <laughs> You're so the expert like, now, I, I feel kind of up to speed with it. Um, I viewed this as it was just a way, it's part of the road of getting to a pay-per-view. And it's kind of the classic show, which it's not about the great matches and everything else. It's just about progressing storylines and getting you to getting you to a pay-per-view card. And like you said, it was just very easy to watch. Again, it was... Uh, and like say so that again a lot of stuff about the main event and just being, I was just like, well, what the hell was that? It was just kind of there and then it was over. But mm. in terms of that storyline with the elite, and I haven't seen being the elite, which obviously then goes into it, but never really plays into the canon on the TV. They kind of talk about what it's kind of mentioned there. Mm. It's, <coughs> I'm like you. It feels like they've had to hold off on these big storylines, but, all out is going to be perhaps where they really do something that's going to be surprising. And it seems like a hangman page term is turn is just sort of too simple mm. to do. And I like the fact that they're not going to the bucks and FTR straight away. This is what they should do. There's a really deep tag division as we spoke about on the round table. And there's loads of different options you can do for FTR before you get to the bucks. You should be building to that when you can get your big crowds. It's almost like, when you're doing your big show back in front of fans, that's the kind of match that you want to have on there where people would be rewarded for having watched, for having watched it. And I agree that a Kenny turn is coming and they've been laying the kind of mental scenes, but <coughs> I don't know. You feeling it's going to go full blown cleaner? That's how I book it. Probably not though. Yeah. Would you do it all out though? I know Steph, you wrote a big preview for it. I mm. mean, it's it's um, fascinating where all the directions you can go with this. My feeling, what they're going to do is have FTR beat uh, Omega and Page, put the tag belts on them, hmm. then it turn into an Omega and Page Young Bucks feud, feud where initially Omega sticks with his mate <gasps> and turns on him, and we get the cleaner. Kenny, and then they break off into a singles feud, which hopefully will give enough time for then FTR and the Young Bucks to happen, because FTR, like, the tag division's so deep, they've got so many teams they can go through before the Young Bucks, but the way I see the feud, I, I think it's been done so well, the whole Hangman Page stuff, because it's not like something massive happens every week or something, mm. like, it's it's been so well done, and to me, he's he's definitely the baby face because what people always say about the young bucks is they are actually heels that are just portrayed as faces oh, yeah. and like their reaction to him uh, it's it's they've been totally heelish in that and page um i watched the other day i watched the page jericho match 
for the, the first championship. And like Paige is such a baby face. He's he's got such a good baby face quality that with them having fans and everything, there is no way that Paige is ever gonna be the heel in this situation. So I think it's gonna it's gonna be a Young Bucks feud and then it's gonna be a Kenny turning. I think Kenny wants to be the cleaner. Mm. Like, I think Kenny wants to be a heel. He's doing some like he's doing some sneaky, strange things, like him coming up on the Thunderdome. Like that was kind of strange. It yeah. was fun, but you gotta wonder where his head was at when he decided to do that. You know, <laughs> was that actually him? Yeah, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. He wasn't someone pretending to be him. Oh, I'm not sure. I I just saw the screenshot. I'll trust you. I, I think stuff. it was him. Yeah. Oh wow. I think it was him. Sure? He must have been fucking bored that night. Yeah, he, <laughs> he's got that wacky side to him, hasn't he, Kenny? And that's that's the bit that I've always said needs right in. I mean, that Kenny. Just wait till Kenny wants to play another ten-minute video game uh, video before one of his matches at AEW, and have Tony Khan have to tell him, "No way, we're going to do that." And then him thinking, "This is why I signed on to this company <laughs> as an EVP to, to be able to do this shit." Come on. <laughs> I think I think that's what you need though. I think we need more of Big Tone saying no because like that is a common complaint I've seen in the last few weeks of AEW. There has been a lot of comedy sneaking in, like like you said before, JP. You know the BTE comedy is fine, but like when the Dark Order are coming up with lawnmowers and your commentators don't even know why they've got them, like you know, I don't think that's great. I think with that, at least it was like purposely. Jericho was there being the person saying what the hell is this to explain it to people which is probably not how they should explain these things like if you've got to make that reference you should have like some little recap clips or something so yes. we're all totally clued into the order, Dark Order thing but I think when they decided we're going to do the alarm mowers it was like hey Jericho pretend you have no idea what this is this can be explained mm. but I don't think that helps the viewer at home as much as they might have thought it did because it took me a while to even catch on to the lawn mowers but I was watching it very late at night <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah there was just a lot of that stuff on the show like i, I think where well, we might disagree like the, the mjf moxley segment like i it was i was so split on that segment because i thought mjf was great in a lot of a lot of parts of it like his, his promo work mm. i thought moxley was great for the majority of it but there still is i, I don't know mjf just he plays like he comes across like above average Mike Sanders in WCW sometimes, where like, you know, there's too there's just too much of that leaning into being that that trolly lower card heel. Like, I don't know, you, I think I'm assuming you're a bit higher on it than me, Steph. But I hated the the stuff with the with this lawyer. Like, I just didn't get it. I was watching it going, "Have I missed the joke? Like, what what, what like?" Yeah. What is? Why are we building to a match with the lawyer and Moxley? Why is that a thing we're doing on the unopposed go home show to to all out to all in all out all out? I think it's all out. <laughs> like just for me, just those little things. Like that, this was a money segment for seventy percent of it, and then there was just that little bit too much of leaning into the comedy side of things and going as far as doing that match next week that I know a lot of people are into. But for me, that's where you need that extra element of creative control because this could have been a killer 100% go-home angle with these two. And for me, like I kind of came out of it relatively negative despite the performance, maybe the two of them in it. I don't know. I don't know if you were any, any stronger on it. Uh, 
I thought it was okay. I don't get the lawyer stuff either. I don't know why it has to be in a match. Is this going to be another example? Like, you know, they had the match with um, Rebel in it, but she's now a makeup artist, not a wrestler. Hmm. So she's doing the pretending not to wrestle. How is this lawyer going to fare? Is he going to be a similar thing? Like, that's Hmm. just a bit stupid. But uh, I didn't think the segment was that great. I think Moxley's, like, Moxley's appeal is just being this kind of straightforward badass guy and then doing all this weird comedy around him and then the end part of like oh i added an extra page and you signed it so wwe so like that was silly you know that's yeah yeah i i never um liked the whole mjf political thing i always just wondered what it just for me came out of nowhere like why are we why are we doing this why are we it, it was just like an excuse for him to be kind of funny by making you know, funny comments at the lawyer or at the at the woman or the people in the office that time that he did that bit. But it just seemed totally pointless, really unnecessary way to build a feud. It felt like that was a very cheap way of getting in with the sort of DN, the Democratic National Convention and Republican National Conventions that went on. It was just, yeah, it was quite lazy comedy. Hmm. Um, I'm with you guys. I looked at it and I thought to myself this is kind of WWE stuff it's like it felt like really kind of any other contract signing I thought there would have been an obvious thing of saying you sign the contract he fights Wardlow next week because hey he did that against Cody and it kind of worked and it took Mm. something out of him and that logically would have been the same thing there whether you want to beat Wardlow again I don't know but then if he's only losing to the top top guys I don't think in a competitive way I don't think that hurts him. Hmm. But this is this is dark stuff. Hmm. And it distracts from your main event. And they've built themselves up on the kind of, you know, for the most part, th- these main events generally have meaning. Stadium, stadium stampede, say, notwithstanding. Because yeah. circumstances. And it was definitely the right way to go. However... For this, it just sort of took a lot of the kind of credibility out of it. And I, lo- I think, like you say, Steph, he's, he's been built on being basically a kind of stone-cold Steve Austin redux. And instead, what's happened is we've jumped to kind of Alliance-era stuff for that. That's really what it is. We've, we've kind of moved, like, and I'm not saying it was complete the same as Stone Steve Austin, but at the same time, it had ideas of that. And that's the way you should be kind of going with him. He's your rebel champion, but is like, and he's unpredictable and the rest of it, but ultimately is kind of pretty dead on balls of just wanting to get on with it. And instead they went down a kind of silly direction and, and really hoping they don't do that this week, because this is the go home and it needs to be told like, this is the main event, but they've got the match with the lawyer, unless it's some sort of non match that happens and he ends up having the shit being having by Wardlow. But even then, why do the match in the first place? It's kind of, yeah. Then you've got to book yourself out of it. Mm. And it's completely needless in the first place. Oh. Um, no, I'm just going to say, why does MJF need all this when he's got Wardlow? He mm. doesn't need like a lawyer gimmick and stuff like that when he's got this big heavy that could have done so much... Uh, damage for him in the lead up to this that would have been actually more exciting than seeing lawyer guy and mm. other random 
members of his entourage. Yeah, I'd, I'd take I'd take Wardlow in the spot rather than the lawyer guy. Like if that if that's the you know the match we can use for the go home next week. Um, yeah, it just seems just seems an extremely odd one. Um, yeah, I mean, what what do you guys make of the rest of the show then? Like I say, the uh, the Dark Order angle was kind of uh, the other big segments on the show, and you know, uh, again, Paul, Matt, and Sammy they they went out there and tried to kill themselves and kind of ended up having to have a bit of a it was a weird one because i was watching this live and it was like five to three and we went to adverts and then we came back and then they were having to literally fit their what felt like a 15 minute grudge match into five minutes uh yeah i think the uh, the lads were poorly done by there and i think there was a definitely uh old tone with his uh, with his stopwatch had a, a bit to answer to there uh, i thought the ending though uh Orange Cassidy just running and jumping oh, on Jericho. Oh, great! Yeah, that was amazing. I did not see him coming. That, that was that was a real. You never saw it coming. He <laughs> and I watched the replay so many times. And when you watch it, just seeing him just shoot past Sammy Guevara in the background, mm. it's great. Like ten out of ten for Jericho on commentary, and then ten out of ten for Orange Cassidy leaping on him at the end. It was fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, Jer- Jericho he is exceptional on commentary, isn't he? Jericho? It could be a bit much at times, I think. But overall, mm. like overall, it's it's worth it's it. Meant I think. to be though. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. He's meant to be like so, like so into it that he struggles to get his sentences out sometimes, mm. and like that's what I love about it. Uh, he's really going to commentate. Like that's like, I would say where his future is in about ten years or something. He'll be great. And he's got enough to riff with the other commentators on as yeah. well. And I think there's like. And everyone's kind of comfortable. They're at that point in the commentary booth where they're all very comfortable with each other. Hmm. And Jericho truly knows the product. Yeah. Like, he really does. If you ever watch um, any of his, his talk show things that he does on YouTube and stuff, he knows every single wrestler, what they're up to, all this stuff. So it's perfect to put in commentary. It's not like a situation you have in WWE sometimes where you think the person's like, not, you know, when they bring in Jerry Lawler, you know, guys not watch this and... In about ten years, like Jericho's up on up on everything, and he knows like the right things to say and the right ways to get people over. He's a very good heel commentator because he always gets people over while mm. saying he doesn't like them. Definitely, yeah. He's uh, he's engaged. I think you you can tell. You know, he's invested in this product, isn't he? And he feels like an ownership for it. Um, you know, if it, it seems as well when things are bad he's quite willing to point them out as well. You know, I saw that interview he did a little long ago where he was having a go at the uh, the Taz FTW title. He was like, why do we, I don't even know what that belt is. Why do we need it? Uh, I appreciate that about him. That he's, uh... oh, it just reminded me, I think the low point of Dynamite was actually the Taz-Jake Roberts interaction. Where... Oh, that was uncomfortable. Weird. That was Jake just going off on one and I think Taz trying to put this on track, but you can't because this guy's just saying whatever came into his head. When he started talking about the Flintstones, it was, it was a train wreck moment. That was extremely yeah. odd. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, all in all, I thought it was a, a decent uh, uh, go-home, well, not go-home show, but a semi-go-home show, the, the show before the go-home show that we've got this Wednesday coming up. Um, and yeah, I think I'm quietly excited for all out i don't think it's uh, you know a, a game-changing card i don't think it's i do feel like they're still in that mode like we said earlier of maybe holding things back a little bit and not going too crazy um with what they're delivering in, in this era but like i say i think jericho orange cassidy will have plenty of heat with the crowd there moxley mjf i don't see mjf winning but you know it's a 
I think it's going to be... I'm hoping this is going to be a proving ground for MJF. I think he didn't really... Unfortunately, the uh, Cody's neck tattoo kind of uh, dwarfed him um, in his last big singles <laughs> AEW match. And that really was... That was all we were talking about after the match, wasn't it? And, you know, he wasn't great in the match himself either. It, that, that was one where it just seemed off and it gave us all doubts about MJF as a top guy. So I'm interested in how that goes and there's a big tag match too. Sorry, Steph. I was going to say, he did prove himself with Jungle Boy, though. That was a great match. That's true. Yeah, yeah. That redeemed himself a little bit there. Um, but yeah, you know, any, any thoughts on the cards as a whole? Like I say, Hangman Page and Kenny against FTRs on there as well. And we've got the uh, the Casino Battle Royale uh, announced too, which I think is a little bit odd that we haven't got a, uh, you know, a, I thought we got a Darby Allen singles match with Ricky Starks on this card. Instead, they're, they're both in that yeah. thing, I think, is maybe a, maybe a way to give that juice and maybe save the match for a... For later on, um, I don't know what do you guys make uh, of this card so far. I've got a sneaky feeling that Eddie Kingston's going to win that Casino Battle Royal. Mm. I don't know why. It may sound kind of silly, but it may have been the look at the end that he gave for the stable. I think that's the idea that possibly everyone else is going to be distracted in their own feuds. But yeah, it it felt like I'm not a fan of the Dark Order Eight Man match versus Cody's mates. See... Why is that on? A paper, yeah. You know, that's the thing. Like that should be on dynamite. I'm yeah. fine with that being on dynamite, but why is it on this? Mm. And that's something that I like. It's still that you mentioned with this era of like you're not like revolution and stuff. Those earlier cards, like every match was at least there for some kind of storyline reason building into. And this is still introducing stuff in the last couple of weeks of what they're going to be doing towards a pay per view, of which they've had you know, a fair bit of time to build up to. So I'm not necessarily a fan of that. I think on the whole, though, they've earned my trust when it comes to it. When it comes to the big shows, like, have they always delivered? No. But when they have delivered, they've delivered big time. And there's enough stuff for kind of good faith. And I think they'll also, I I can see them trying a couple of reasonably shocking things. What they are, God knows. But, um... I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of change a few things around. Intrigue see Thunder Rosa. Like yeah, turning she the Thunder Rosa. That's on the card as well, isn't it? That's a, that's a, that's a, that, that goes away to solving some of the women's problems. Thunder Rosa is, she's very good. It's a really good way to like build a match shortly to bring in a champion from another territory. That was cool. And we got to see Billy Corgan on Dynamite. Mm. Happy. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think, yeah, it, it makes you wonder about the NWA. Mm. And what's what's happening with that, or the you know, because you also had Ricky Starks leaving as well at the same time. Stu Bennett as Kingston. well. Yeah, Stu Bennett. It, it, is that going to be a thing? Although, is it is it not being renamed under some other kind of wrestling program? Uh, they're doing the a weekly pay per views. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's like September it's September fifteenth or something. Maybe the week after um, this Saturday. Yeah, something like that 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 Aldous is is doing. And he's, got his, road, though. and he's got his job with fight as well, so you know, uh, yeah, probably yeah. not a great sign. But no, she's a great pickup for AEW though, and I think it does. Yeah. I don't think I, I would say about this card. There's no, there's no match to look at and go. That's going to be the blow away match of the night. Um, but I'd, I'd say everything I'm at least interested in. Um, so yeah, it, it, I think it all out is supposed to be their big cards is the only thing. This doesn't feel like a WrestleMania type card. This feels yeah. like a 
decent pay-per-view card. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the uh, the actual interest level is uh, coming and whether they do you know a similar number you know in the plus uh, hundred thousand odd ranges uh, that they've been doing for their their pay-per-views uh, recently and even in this pandemic. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I suppose that's uh, unless you guys have got anything else on AEW, I suppose uh, we should probably uh, talk some David Arquette. Uh, we've kept the people waiting long <laughs> enough. JP, this was uh, this you you sprung this on uh, on me and Steph that you'd uh, you'd seen mm. this uh, this David Arquette documentary and uh, and talked us into watching it. And you know what? I had a fun time watching it. Uh, you cannot kill David Arquette is the uh, is the name of it. I don't know the only thing, JP. I don't know where the where the documentary started and where the mock- mockumentary started because yes. it didn't feel on the level at all. And I honestly, after ten minutes, I did want to turn it off because you know I, I felt like when they get to that scene where they're with Brian Nobbs in the pub, where it's quite clearly yeah. a worked fight. I was like, I don't want to watch a work documentary, but I think kind of after that moment, got in on the joke a little bit and it felt like performance art from David Arquette in some ways, but then in other ways, there were moments where it felt so real that I was like, okay, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this whole thing isn't a work. Um, so mm. there are, I, I, don't, I think the way I'd sum it up is I'm not sure it's a good documentary and I think it's a good mockumentary, uh, but I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know. You saw this before the uh, the tour was. This was your baby. Uh, what, did you, what did you What did you make of it? More importantly, what did you give it on Letterboxd? I gave it a, a solid three three stars. I'm not on Letterboxd. Oh. I I'd be tempted to go kind of th- three and a half mm. on that. You know, on Grapple um, for David, <laughs> which is higher than higher than any match of his will ever be fucking rated. <laughs> I kind of agree with you on this. Like there is, it's very odd because it's telling a story of him kind of wanting to pay penance mm. for what he, what he feels he did to wrestling, which is an incredibly niche area to go down. Plus at the same time, it's got all this stuff with, um, uh, like his career and basically saying he hasn't worked for 10 years and it kind of, between the WCW run kind of ruined that and it kind of implies it somewhat led to his divorce from Courtney Cox. Mm. When you see Brian Nobbs, you're immediately thinking, there's a bullshit merchant. There's the nasty boys, bullshit merchants. No. And, but, and at that point I was like you, I was like, Oh, I feel like kind of throwing this away. But as a as a kind of central figure to kind of follow, he was very engaging. Mm. It felt a bit silly that he only kind of twigs really about halfway through that, oh, I need to train for this. And it's like, you've been around these people for so long. What did you think you were going to do? And at that point you think, well, I'm being worked because clearly he knows that's not the fucking case. So when he turns up to see DDP and he's doing yoga on a rock and it's, but it's kind of wonderfully silly and it does move along at a kind of pace. And you're with him and I enjoyed it. It's perfect. It's, but like, I agree with you. It's kind of closer to something like exit through the gift shop than it is to kind of your typical documentary. And he looks in great. We were talking about it for the start of it. He looks in great shape by the time he gets himself together. And it's very odd because there's his, like it feels like his wife doesn't know what he's doing or why he's filming it. But then you find out she's the producer of the film at the end. So you go, right. And you're talking, they're talking about her producing of her first film. And I'm like, 
is this it? Mm. Is she producing the first film? That he's, oh, she's off producing a film. It's like, yeah, off producing a film with you. Like, <laughs> yeah. like really. And for wrestling fans, there's these really odd bits that come up. So the Ken Anderson bit at the beginning, I was like, oh, my God. When he first appears and you think, are we building up this entire documentary to a big <laughs> one-on-one match with Ken fucking Anderson? Jesus, no. But it's the stuff – I found the stuff particularly in Mexico. I thought that was really good. Hmm. And when he's trying to do the lucha moves and you see the street wrestling and it reminds you of the wrestlers episode. And I think hmm. that there's stuff around the kind of culture of wrestling. And there's loads of like really engaging scenes. And I won't lie, I had a massive crush on Rosanna Arquette as a kid. <laughs> L- like, like I liked Patricia Arquette because of um, True Romance. But she's actually like she did a limited miniseries as well called Escape from Donna Mora that's really well worth watching with Benicio Del Toro and Rosanna Arquette was in Desperately Seeking Susan which my sister just watched on fucking oh. repeat as a kid um, and so the Arquettes have always kind of I don't know they feel like they've been a kind of omnipresent if you're a kid of the 80s and 90s into the kind of scream films mm. so I was really engaged with it he turns up on these big platforms like the bloody Wendy Williams show and they're talking about him on Ellen and it's just, it's fucking mad. And I haven't even mentioned the Nick Gage bit, which when you see that close up, that is fucking horrible. Mm. Like I had to turn away when he just lets it go and you can just see this big gash in his neck and he's yeah. bleeding and you can see the panic in his face and the other stuff there. And you're like, Oh my God. It's if you're a wrestling fan, you kind of really do have to watch this. It's yeah. not perfect in any way. There's a lot of bullshit there, hmm. but it's r- always enjoyable. Like on, on the Gage thing, engaged. though, that kind of that kind of says to me what I wanted more out of this from. Because the what what I've seen David Arquette do in interviews since that is go, yeah, that was my fault. I was an idiot. I panicked. He had the light tube held up to my neck, and I turned around, and that's what got me cut. And you know, a little scene where him and Nick Gage make up, but you don't really get that. You don't get that that real inside look. Instead, you kind of get this. This work with this, you know, David Gar kept playing this this crazy character, and it's just another one of like the crazy hijinks that he got into in his in his bid to be taken seriously as a wrestler again. Uh, I don't know, but where did you land on it, Steph? As far as like that goes, and the the blurring of the lines that they did, because you know, there's no way this was all shoot, but it did also feel like you know, although maybe he didn't get the the real life moment there, there was stuff with his family and stuff with his you know his his mental illness and and addiction problems that that felt real his family's embarrassments in general for him wrestling again felt real um so they certainly did that i thought at least a decent job of blaring the lines yeah i felt that um the the whole brian knobs thing i could have done without that but like i cried twice watching this documentary oh well, there you go oh, that's, that's four stars if i ever had it yeah so you know what, whether or not everything was on the level or not, it did actually touch me in a way because I felt it was like this um, story of this man who, like David Arquette has not had the best Hollywood career. And I'm someone that I like the Arquette family as well. I really liked Alexis Arquette actually a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, a, that's, that's definitely the kind of person I was into as a teenager. You've got <laughs> a culture club now going through my Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I felt that it was 
this it kind of touched me in a weird way because wrestling is actually a very hard world to get into and be accepted into and this was this guy who had these who got into wrestling because he was a Hollywood star but he was actually like a huge fan of wrestling and then he he had such a terrible run in wrestling that made everyone hate him and then he felt like this world that he loved rejected him and I thought that was quite sad I also thought um some of the stuff with his daughter in particular just made me think like if any kids are listening don't be embarrassed by your dad because uh, that 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 made me sad that she was so embarrassed by her dad because that like made me feel for him a lot because this is a guy that uh, I think of a couple trying- of lads in Oxford who need to hear this by the way but carry on <laughs> <laughs> it's just well he's he was just trying to to be something and to to not be a joke I thought his wife at the beginning when they showed his wife I did have a feeling of like how did she end up married to David Arquette, you know? And then I also thought, um, you know, because they told you about her whole career and everything, and it's like, oh, she ended up with David Arquette. And then I thought, I definitely, I would definitely end up with David Arquette, though. Like, <laughs> I, I see myself married to, like, a really crazy older man that can't hold it together, you know, when you're trying to do lots of jobs. So I, t- I totally understand that. I thought she was great. Um he seems like he's obviously a nice person because you can tell by the fact that he's still friends with Courtney Cox. Mm. I think that says a lot about him. But I thought it was, yeah, whatever was real, whatever wasn't, it was a great kind of um, emotional story about one man's journey into acceptance in this world. There were bits of it where he was, okay, you know the bit where he was in the wrestling convention and no one wanted yeah. his autograph? That made me think, like, is that really real? Would people seriously not queue for David Arquette? Uh, I can't speak. Of course a bunch of marks would queue up for David Arquette, wouldn't they? Like, yeah. they would. Um, but then having that scene, and if you're someone that knows nothing about wrestling, I think you'd be totally drawn into that, being like, this poor guy is just, you know, trying so hard. Um, so the bits that made me cry were I actually cried during the, the Nick Cage match thing because when um, his neck was fucked and the way he was holding it and then when he left the ring and he came back in, I just got this feeling of like the fear you'd have if that happened to you, like mm. the utter fear. And I just had this thought of just um, him being in this moment, knowing that he'd gone too far and that something potentially awful had happened and it just, it got me. So that made me cry because the guy tried so hard during the documentary and though I knew that he does not die at the end, I was just like, oh my God, is he going to die? <laughs> <laughs> you see um, real fear in his face, don't oh, you? Oh yeah. yeah. You do. You, you absolutely, you see the fear of him going, holy fuck, I could potentially die and then it's like, if you've ever had a situation where you can feel internally that something's happening to you and you're in a crowd where people are around you and no one else knows what's going on, that's what I felt like was going through his head. Like mm. that no one else knew how serious it was and he needed help but couldn't get it. Mm. So I thought that was all kind of like sad and, and scary and stuff. And then I cried at the end when his wife gave him the Miss Elizabeth entrance because... Oh. Um, I had such a connection to Miss Elizabeth when I was a kid and, and seeing her do that for him, I thought it was really beautiful. I was like, that's, I thought it was a beautiful um, 
ending to kind of come full circle because I loved the bit where he was really down and he was just saying like, I I was watching all this old stuff and I realised I was in love with Miss Elizabeth, (laughs) you know, like that kind of thing. Like I thought that bit was great. So I thought the ending was great, but I I loved it. Whatever was real, whatever wasn't, I would have got rid of the Brian Knobs shit. (laughs) The backyard uh, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The backyard stuff didn't like at all. Um, That felt fake. That felt fake. And I hated the stuff where there was a guy in there who, I think it was in the backyard bit, or it, no, at van. the convention. Oh yeah, the bad guy was bad. But at the convention, there was a guy that just healed himself so much by being like, "Oh, David Arquette's a disgrace," and all this kind of stuff. And he was just the type of person where, if I was watching this with people and knew nothing about wrestling, like if I was showing it to my friends or family, that would really um, embarrass me. It's it's someone that doesn't even. Uh, I, I don't want to distra- describe him with being too offensive, but he's just a mark that doesn't understand the actual art that wrestling can be, but he's just trying to be um, this weird kind of like gatekeeper thing. It was just, that was like awful. And then that combined with the sadness of no one turned up with his booth was, and then him giving them like $10 to buy a Hulk Hogan um, magazine or something as well. It was all just, yeah, but I thought it was great. I thought it was really great. And um, I thought it was great that he managed to get all his more famous relatives uh, in, the, in the documentary as well. I just, I, I thought it was a very cool documentary. Um, and I'm glad I got to watch it. Yeah, he was, uh, he, I, I'll be honest, like you, you said about crying. Like I did actually, I shed a little bit of a tear at the end when they had the little, uh, the Luke Perry um yeah, uh, tribute. That was great, and you know they had Jungle Boy there, and I thought that was because when he popped up in the documentary, that that it was after the Nick Gage bit, wasn't it? Um, he's like mm-hmm. the person putting the towel on his neck and helping get him, him and Jungle Boy basically driving to the hospital. That was like, oh god, like I didn't I wasn't I didn't see that coming. I didn't realize that it, you know they were they were that close, and so that was a, that was a really sad little moment. And yeah, I, I think I did come out of it. You know, again, questioning a lot of it, and you've named nailed most of the bits there, Steph. But coming out of it like. I don't feel. I think that's that's maybe a reason why you know you mentioned that dude at the convention being overly negative to David Arquette. Do those people really exist? Like I feel like at least anyone who's seen him wrestle over the last couple of years or so, like you can't help but have respect for him being willing to come back and and give it a second go. But in general, I don't feel angry about David Arquette and his place in wrestling. I think we all know what it is and whose fault it is. I don't know if anyone directly has a has bad feeling towards him. If you are angry about David Arquette, you honestly know nothing about mm. about wrestling because anyone understands how that all happened, how David himself felt about it at the time, how he ends up like giving away his salary to like Pillman's family and everything. Yeah, that's nice to hear. There's all this stuff. It's like you can uh, you can't hate David Arquette because he was essentially booked badly then you're just an idiot because none of this was David Arquette's, Arquette's fault. So, Oh, yeah. That, it's Vince Russo's. Yeah. 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 And he gladly I mean, takes the credit too. Slash blame. He does. Because I don't know why, but, like, I'm assuming the front page of getting on USA Today is exactly the same as having Matt LeBlanc headlining your film. You're just going to take over the world, aren't you? It's clearly the biggest thing in there. It was like... The logic was we got in USA Today, and what happened as a result of it? 
your company was dead in like a fucking year. And they explained very clearly about that. And I think Dallas Page, uh, DDP says this really good line in it. Where he goes, like, you're told you're going to become the world champion. And it's just happening. This is going to be it. Are you just going to go no and walk out? And he was saying very clearly he didn't want to do it. And it was, yeah, it's ridiculous. Like you said, Steph, anyone who's kind of the anger at him, which again, at that point, you kind of, it goes on to what you said a second ago, but it's like, are there people out there who really feel like there probably are? Yeah, you know yeah. what? It's wrestling. Given wrestling it usually plans. is, yeah. Yeah. Cornet listeners You remember or and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, that, those people. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, as an hour and a half documentary, absolutely flies by as well. And we've mentioned loads of little bits there. It's not like kind of spoiler stuff, but I would say the match he has with RJ City from Championship Wrestling in Hollywood looks quite good. And I think RJ City, like I'm kind of intrigued by him as a wrestler because it's one of the bits where you get someone in there as a wrestler who tells him, we're going to construct this kind of match together and this is how we're going to do it. And then you see them doing it and you think, yeah, this is just really good. And that kind of show is perfect for him to be on doing that, just that little bit of buzz from it. And he gets in the PWI 500 as well. It's, I like the yeah. way that's like the, the happy ending, isn't it? He was ranked as one of the 500 best wrestlers in the world. <laughs> okay, let's. <laughs> they take it seriously, though, don't they? The RJ City bit was a really good scene. It was one of those scenes like they had um, in Beyond a Map that, can show people that don't know anything about wrestling, like the construction of wrestling matches. When you just, when you do that, um, showing people talking about it, then showing what actually happens. Mm. It's just such a good explainer for like what wrestling is. But um, yeah, I thought RJ City was really good. I want to watch more of him as yeah. well. Yeah. Anything I ever see him and he comes across well. Yeah. And, and any of that kind of training stuff's good. I just don't want to see some arsehole bollocking someone until they puke into a dustbin. I'm not interested in those kind of pricks anymore. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, the training school you went to, it just, I I always get the feeling like, and I even felt this like t- times when I tried wrestling training, the stuff you're doing is so more dangerous than you think it is. And when you see this like warehouse kind of, garage setup type thing with just a bunch of lads around that you're not really sure you can trust to technically know everything <laughs> just makes you go your yeah, wrestling's fucking crazy oh yeah, like, yeah. it's crazy <laughs> yeah that's it I used to turn up every sunday in manchester pay my tenner and then just spent three hours doing bumps uh <laughs> it's like <laughs> to an outside they're like yeah i just put myself to through several car crashes just to you know, to learn how to do it properly, why not? Uh, Best yeah. 30 quid you ever spent, mate. Oh, honest <laughs> to God, mate. Uh, I don't miss those days one bit. Um, but yeah, it was. did you notice that that school as well? It was, uh, what's his name? Chris, the American NXT UK referee. It was his, he was, he seemed to be not the head trainer, but he was around and he was, he was helping out a lot. Is it Chris Sharp? Is that his name? He's got me yeah. blocked on Twitter. I don't, you know, whatever. <laughs> that, that, that guy. Actually, a very nice guy when I met him in real life, but maybe not so much on the internet. But yeah, I thought good that match was weird. Huge shock show, didn't he? Oh, he did. Oh, yeah, he did with, uh, with Big Joe. Yeah, that was very good. Um, but yeah, uh, we'll go on stuff. Weird. Yeah, Joey Ryan turn up as well. There's someone oh, that needed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised yeah. I didn't get clipped out. That was 
yeah. And this was made quite a while ago. Was it? And it's been doing the kind of rounds at a lot of festivals and things like that. Oh, I see. So it would have been before that. Because I'm assuming that was that bar wrestling or GCW. Mm-hmm. It's certainly the same venue, isn't it? Yeah. It was uh, wrestling, I think. Um, I think Joey, uh, I don't know. It made me think about the time that Joey Ryan was in on RuPaul's Drag Race made me think that he must have this um, connection to the Hollywood wrestling thing and that if people need TV wrestlers, mm. that's what they go to. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, at least he was only in it for a couple of seconds because yeah. of the, the way the documentary was going with bits of comedy and stuff and wouldn't have surprised me if we'd gotten a full joint match matching there, so thank God it didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thankful for those small mercies, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, the documentary, I think, for different reasons, uh, I think we'd all give it a thumbs up. Uh, definitely worth watching, yeah. is it? Where, where can you actually watch it, JP? Uh, so you can watch it, Amazon, iTunes, Google Play. Basically, it's down for rental, so it's like, I think, get it for like four quid, stuff like that. So, the usual go. outlets. There you go. So yeah, nice, nice plug for it there as well. Uh, but yeah, fun watch. Um, I suppose we, we should probably wrap up, but JP, do you want to take the last four minutes and uh, tell us about Impact? Or I always to... want Steph to tell us. This is the first time <laughs> you've watched Impact in a long time. Yes. Um, there's very little I can remember about it. I can't remember any actual matches. I, yeah, I watched it today. I had it on while I was working. Every so often I looked up and thought, what the fuck is on my screen? Um yeah, I thought it was a pretty bad show. Um, in particular, the Wrestle House thing was absolutely terrible. I don't even know what was going on. Taya was drunk, but uh, there was some kind of love triangle going on. There was a point in it where a man said to, is it Rosemary? There was some kind of what I can only think is a toilet-based joke where she mentioned the smell in the room. And that was the point where I thought this is one of the worst weekly wrestling shows I have ever seen. Um, yeah, it was it was really bad. And it looked really low rent. If you're going to do stuff like Wrestle House or whatever, at least put some kind of effort into it because I've never seen something like produced such a low rent manner. Um, even the interview segments, like we were talking about um, before, that interview segment with the Rascals, mm. where oh. the Rascals and um, Madison Rain was doing it. Was Madison Rain and a potted plant. Like what a set that was! <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. It was a. It was a really bad show, and I feel bad being so negative, but. It was really bad. There was a lot. There was a lot of questionable stuff on that. Like, I'm not even getting to the RBD angle that he's in and all of that. It, yeah, you it, saw Katie Forbes for the first time, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, I did, and yeah, uh, yeah. each to their own. There, uh, they've had a wrestling. It's not something I would put on mainstream television to try and say what a great product we have <laughs> yeah it's um you know i i want to root for impact but it 
it honestly felt watching it top to bottom. It felt like it was made up of people who would never get hired by WWE. Mm. <laughs> That's what it is, isn't it? Yeah. There's a lot of that. The quality <laughs> of everyone on it was just, I mean, someone like a Katie Forbes not going to get hired by WWE. I, but not, I'm not sure Madison Rain would either. It was, yeah. It's it's written by two 16-year-old boys who are re- who at the end of all of this shite and I haven't got to I haven't got to seeing this put on a half an hour women's iron man match between Diana Perazzo and Jordan Grace that okay. I'd actually quite like to see. That's the thing like, that match was was fine and I think those two women are really good but this shit that you had to go through you had to watch this bizarre thing where Ty of Valkyrie's uh, drunk and the yeah. toga parties the toga party the, fo- the they, Fuji mist thrown by Johnny Swinger yep and someone uh, someone fancies someone in the house and someone doesn't and then weird really bad toilet humour which is something that would make me turn off anything um, so I do not want to see that in my wrestling um, to go through all that and then to say we're going to present a Oh, women's 30-minute 30, 30 women's Iron Man match? <laughs> That's ridiculous. Is that fucking parody? It is. It's like, you just feel sorry for um, Diana and, and Jordan Gracie because yeah. imagine, that's like saying that you're going to present an incredible uh, scene from Shakespeare with the best actors in the world, but before that, you have to sit through the absolute bottom-rung comedy um toilet humor crap for an hour and a half and then you're asking oh but can you please respect this greatness at the end like i actually can't because of what you put me through first it it would be like if rob black but i don't know (laughs) kabashi versus akiyama headlining (laughs) one of his cards yeah. And before that, he put on New Jack versus Vic Grimes and had Lizzie Borden dancing in the ring. Yeah. Went, Here you go, some all Japan. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? It's And the problem is, every time this happens, right, it's the story of my impact life, I won't watch it. And I'm sure Gareth will say, do you know what? I watched Impact and it was a perfectly good show. There was this really good X Division match on. I got, all right, I'll give you another week. Um, and, it, and drag and Stefan to watching it with shy. you as well. <laughs> I felt bad for that. Not too bad. I did laugh when you when you were messaging going, what is this? What's going on? And it's like, yep. You it, know what it was? It's because I thought they turned this corner. Um, I don't know why I thought this, but with all this kind of rebranding and people keep telling me that they've turned a corner and it's actually really good. Like that's what I keep hearing. And I know they've got, From JP. um, <laughs> not just JP. So I thought they, you know, really tra- <laughs> tried to make a serious product. When Katie Forbes came out, I was like, has he sent me an old impact? <laughs> what is this? Yeah. You know, uh, this can't be a company that's turned a, a corner into uh, presenting great wrestling. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> when I see her come out, I'm reminded by ECW in many ways, so Rob Van Damme, yeah. Electra in ECW, that type of stuff. Yeah. It's 
it's like, you know, it would just be like the idea of going, we're going to have someone like Francine out there or Kimona Wanalea. Very clever lads in ECW, weren't they? Um, <laughs> like, I, I regard Francine and, and Kimona. I, like, I have quite good, I do. good memories of the ECW ladies. I certainly wouldn't take any slander on uh, Beulah, but <laughs> this... This is like this cracking match with Fonzie back in the day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's it was just a very very strange show. And I thing is, what I expected it to be was boring. I expected that they were going on a run of. I knew about the WrestleHouse stuff. I actually thought they would have killed that off by now because it was so bad. But I thought they were going on a run of trying to, you know present good wrestling so i thought the show might be quite boring it wasn't boring <laughs> because i got got enough uh, out of it to be like messaging you two every five minutes going what the fuck <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. uh, there you go at least there's <laughs> so we're gonna be watching it next week as well oh yeah you're not dragging me into it though jp garrett's back next week garrett can uh can take back his uh his impact duties uh, and he loves a bit of that, doesn't he? <laughs> Look, they got the last five minutes, and they deserve the last five minutes. Is what I'm hearing from this. They had a good chunk early on in the show as well. They've done so much better. Out of this, I've done more for them than they have for me. Put it that way. Yeah, people might go back and watch that after our review, though. Just, just, just I don't know why. About it. I. I don't know what anyone would make of it. It's the absolute dog shit. Yeah, there you go. And that's our impact review. Absolute dog shit. Yes. So, yeah, if you were considering going and watching it, uh, I think it sounds like just don't. <laughs> but, yeah, we're, uh, we're quickly running out of time. So, uh, before we do go, um, obviously, uh, you two guys have been very, very busy lately. Uh, Steph, do you want to go first? Where can, uh, where can the good people find uh, the work you've been doing this last week or so? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Stephanie M. Cheers. Find me on YouTube at Stephanie Chase Wrestling. I just uploaded an interview I did in March with Sonia DeVille that's um, got lots of stuff about LGBTQ representation in wrestling um, that I think is really important to listen to. And I was on Cruel Summer with WH Park over in the Post Network as well. So check that out because it's two people on the opposite end of the Jay White spectrum meeting and and <laughs> trying to get along. <laughs> you I do right. Yeah. How about you, JV? Oh, bloody hell, I'm all over the place at the minute. Um, oh, yeah. So uh, we had the AW Roundtable last week. Um, uh, that's out. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it. Got a really great panel on there um, between Rich Van, Suit Williams, and Sarah Flannery. Um, the up, NX, up next guys, uh, Braden Harrington, Davey Portman, had me on their show, Best Of, where I jumped over to TNA like the uh, willing fool that I am. But um, no, it was actually the good side of it. It was the uh, some best of the X Division matches, which was, it was really great recording it as well. And, and Braden is like, his knowledge of TNA is like, it's there. Like, and unfortunately like me, he's also scarred by some of the bad stuff. So um, if you're subscribed to their Patreon, please listen to that as well. That That was really good fun. And then I'm going to be appearing on post um, talking classic 90s All Japan and one of the most famous matches of all time. No pressure. Yeah, AW X Division, then talking Impact just before. And then it's all wrapped up with a bit of cheeky Jumbo Jumbo Saruta versus Mitsuharu Masawa from June 1990 in their famous match at Budokan. 
Um, and doing that with WH Park as well. Um, so, yes, have a listen to those. All the JP you could ever want, uh, plus some more. Uh, All the yeah. WH as well. He's, yeah, there yeah. you go. Have to get him. Out. We've been saying that we need to get him on this show at some point. Be, oh, uh, we do. If we can make those, I don't know what he'll make of Impact. Like, <laughs> I, I can't see him tolerating twenty minutes, and I think he would do that possibly out of politeness and then just go fuck that. Yeah, I, I can just hear John Pollock's impression of him in my head now. This fucking Impact. <laughs> uh, <laughs> See, mine's not as good as Pollock's, but there you go. Uh, but yeah, uh, check all of that stuff out. Uh, I'll be on BWE as normal uh, this Thursday night with a, with a rundown of uh, all the Britain's news. Uh, but other than that, yep, uh, follow uh, the Grapple app on Twitter at Grapple app. Uh, follow me at Benson Richardy. Download the Grapple app. And yeah, we'll be back next week with uh, our all-out review uh, and plenty of other stuff on uh, what's happening in the world of wrestling. But yeah, that's it for us for another show. We'll see you again next week. Bye. I'm telling you a story about a man created by God. No, a man created by Hollywood. Not MacGyver, not Vin Diesel, not Stallone, not Schwarzenegger. I'm talking about David Arquette. The man is invincible. He was in Scream 1, Scream 2, Scream 3. If they make a Scream 4, he's coming back as a goddamn cyborg. He was in Ready to Rumble, and he was a WCW champion for two weeks. He was an eight-legged freak who rebelled giant spiders. Giant spiders, for God's sakes! He was also in C-Spot Mun, but only because he needed the money. And now-